Tom Cruise. We talking about Tom Cruise in the hizzy. I'm in the gazebo, baby. Coming at you. Monday morning, baby. Beautiful, beautiful day today in Pullman. Beautiful Pullman, Washington. Over here by Washington State University. You know what you're listening to. You you clicked on it. You know what it is. It's a it's another episode of Stars Born. I'm holding it down over here in Lawson Gardens, out for another walk on this wonderful morning, 7:42 a.m., uh, March 26th, 2019, Monday, 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 Monday. We talking Tom Cruise today. Oh my goodness, can't wait to talk to you guys about Tom Cruise. Ah, way nicer today than it was yesterday. I just, I love it. I love the sun. Sun's out. Sun's out. Gun's out. Sounds like something Tom Cruise says often. I bet he has, bet he has a tank top that says that. Uh, I was just thinking, I wonder like, I wonder how Tom Cruise like goes to the grocery store. I mean, because you know like someone that famous like, Maybe he doesn't. Like, why he doesn't? Like, do they have secret grocery stores for just celebrities? Like, cause you know they have like that celebrity Tinder that, like, you have to be like Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise or Angelina Jolie or something to go on it. But do they like? Cause you know I mentioned uh, Barbara Streisand. I think I mentioned that she has a mall in her basement, which is crazy. It's like so she has people who just work in her basement and the only customer they ever have is like Barbara Streisand <laughs> and her and her friends and her husband but it's funny. It's cuz oh yes, Barbara Streisand's husband was just on the Adam Carolla show. I can't I can't remember who it is, but he was just on. But um oh my goodness, I I love it. Beautiful. Beautiful day. Uh I can't wait to talk to y'all about Tom Cruise. Like, do you think he just rides, does he just ride a motorcycle around his house, probably? Like, I wonder if he has, like, a mini motorcycle that he round, like, rides around the house. Like how they, like in Jersey Shore when they were riding that mini bike around the roof. Oh, man. Back when they had the jacuzzi on the roof. Ooh, good old, good old roof jacuzzi. That's, like, the perfect place to put it. Oh my goodness, I don't, know, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Oh my gosh, check out my books, guys. Check out my books on Amazon, thank you so much. Uh, Sponge Cake, a mostly made-up story about a completely insane town and what's in the fridge. Thank you for rating and reviewing A, a Star's Born on iTunes and subscribing to it and telling everyone about it. Oh my goodness, I'm just launching into plugs already. It's, it's beautiful, uh, I love it. Thank you so much. Um, I think... Yeah, I just wonder, like, Tom Cruise, like, he probably, he seems like a kind of person who would try to ride a motorcycle, like, on a trampoline. Like, I bet he has some trampolines. I don't know. Maybe he, I bet he can do some crazy gymnast stuff, like, double front flips and whatnot. (laughs) He seems pretty, pretty athletic, doing his own stunts. Oh, my God. I wonder, like, when he made the decision that, He's going to be an actor who does his own stunts. Just because he can, like, put on a business card. Like, he can tell everyone it. Everyone knows what he means. 
just like a one sentence just I do my own stunts like <laughs> gives you so much credit it's like it's like a teacher who grades their own papers it's like a college professor who doesn't use a TA to grade their papers <laughs> it's like I grade my own papers yeah I grade these essays jumped off a roof while I was parkoured off a roof uh <laughs> oh my gosh I don't know that's like a apps comparison I think at least oh Monday Monday looking right now over at Stevenson Tower like I told you all yesterday to the right about half mile towards towards the university that way just a gorgeous day Tom Cruise it's gonna be it's funny I put out part one yesterday didn't even uh get into any Tom Cruise movies just all from the gazeeb the old uh, gazebo ramblings, but I think today, yeah, today we're we're gonna do it. We're gonna, you'll hear it in a second. You'll hear it. Um, <laughs> I will have gone home and recorded this uh, T Cruise. Oh my gosh, can't wait! It's gonna be fun. All right, without uh, further ado, thank you all so much. Um, <laughs> this is great. I love it. Tom Cruise, one of my, not only one of my favorite actors, but one of the most interesting people. In the history of the world, maybe? Tom Cruise? T-shirt time. Tom Cruise time. It's Tom Cruise time. Cabs are here. Yep. Yes. Let's do it. Um, boom. Thank you. To the place I belong. West Virginia. Mountain Mama. Hey y'all, me again. Before we get into the episode, um, stand right in front of the little infinity pond that I was telling y'all about yesterday. The one lo- looks like a mini version of the one in front of Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And I'm looking at a plaque here. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, This garden is dedicated in loving memory of Alice A. Lawson. May beauty, peace, and tranquility prevail always. So may it ever be. And it's just a black plaque here with gray writing on it. And kind of on the seat on the ledge of the infinity pond. I guess it's not a wishing well. I don't know what... Is there some sort of like sign that people know that something's a wishing well? Or do they just... Does it be, Is it like a chicken and egg? It's a chicken and egg thing, you know? Does it become a wishing well once people start throwing pennies in it? Or is there a sign that says, this is a wishing well, throw your change in here? Hmm, that's uh, something I never thought of. It's like, which comes first? What was the first wishing well? How did that become a thing? That's something for me to, we'll have to look into that. Uh, We'll talk about that, excuse me, in the main episode. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to uh, mention Alice A. Lawson because... That's the namesake of this gardens that I've been hanging out in these past two mornings. So, um, beautiful. Love it. Thank you. Awesome. Let's do it. Awesome. Lawson. Awesome. Lawson. Uh, without further ado, that'd be the name of, that could be the name of her uh, memoir, of her biography. Awesome. Lawson. Awesome. Lawson. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Yank socks t-shirt Tom. okay 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 i'm pumped i'm pumped excited to talk to y'all about tom cruise it's like another 
this is a very special episode, I would say. This is a, maybe the biggest, I don't know, maybe the biggest movie star in the world? We'll have to talk about that. Is Tom Cruise the biggest? Is he maybe the most famous actor in the world? Um, he could be. I think Tom Hanks is up there. Uh, I think Tom Cruise is definitely up there. Um, we'll get into it, though. We'll get into that and more um, in the episode. Let's do it, baby. Without further ado, Tom Cruise. Yeah, buddy. Cheese. Can I sail through the changing ocean tides? Can I handle the seasons of my life? Took my love and I took it down. Climbed the mountain and I turned around. And I saw my reflection in the snow-covered hills. Till the landslide brought me down. Oh, mirror in the sky, what is love? Can the child within my heart rise above? Can I sail through the changing ocean tides? Can I handle the seasons of my life? Well, I've been afraid of changing Cause I built my life around you But time makes you bolder Even children get older And I'm getting older too I'm getting older too We back in the house A Star is Born Part 2, Tom Cruise Welcome, welcome So happy to talk to y'all Oh my goodness Oh my goodness gracious This is part 2, baby It's 1.36pm It's March, March 25th, 2019 Not March 26th I I was incorrect this morning when I spoke to y'all. Um, so happy to talk to you. Can't wait to talk to you about Tom Cruise. But before I do, um, let's see. Let's do some plugs. Let's get into it, baby. Pick up my books on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble. Sponge Cake, a mostly made-up story about a completely insane town and what's in the fridge. Uh, super proud of those. Super excited for y'all to read them. Go to my blog, thegoat1.blogspot.com, my website, christtheauthor.com. Follow me on Twitter at christtheauthor8 and Instagram, chrisarneson8. And thank you so much for share, share, sharing the podcast with everyone. Um, That's awesome. I love it. We're spreading the word. We're uh, building the Milky Way of starfishes. And it's it's a big deal. So I'm so happy that you're on, that you're on board with me here in this thrilling monorail not a monorail that's the uh, that's the Adam Carolla show like I said yesterday but we're still trying to figure out what what vehicle represents a star is born but we will figure that out it's okay we'll get it no hurry it will present itself to us but um well if that doesn't make any sense to you listen to part one of the Tom Cruise episode I was talking about that yesterday let's see here 
Before we get into some Tom Cruise talk, let's do some stuff we do every episode here. Oh, yes. Let's address uh, wishing wells. I brought this up this morning. I was wondering what the origin of wishing wells may be. So, it's a term from European folklore that describes wells where it's thought that any spoken wish would be granted. The idea that a wish would be granted came from the notion that water house deities or had been placed there as a gift from the gods. Ah. So, okay, there we go. It's because of the ancient European folklore that water water's home to the gods. Interesting. Okay, there you go. And as for Rock Chuck Jayhawk, yesterday we said that, or I said, I wanted to find the origin of Rock Chalk Jayhawk, Kansas. Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize yesterday morning. I was having so much fun on Saturday that I didn't even realize that Kansas lost Saturday night. They were my national runner-up. I had them losing to Gonzaga in the championship game. So there we go. I already lost, lost that team. So that's okay, though. It's all good. You can't invest that much in March Madness. Pretty much anything goes March Madness. Um, let's see. So Rock Chalk Jayhawk. At first, their version was Raw Raw Jayhawk KU, repeated three times. And later, in place of the Raws, an English professor suggested Rock Chalk. Uh, a transposition of chalk rock, which is the name of the limestone, the limestone outcropping found in Mount Oreed, site of the Lawrence campus. Wow, very interesting. So it has to do with limestone, Mount Oreed. There you go. Now you can tell that's some good bar trivia. When you're watching March Madness next year, when uh, Kansas is back in it. Before they get eliminated, you can uh, quiz your friends at the bar and impress everyone. Maybe get get some free pickled eggs or something. Uh, a free shot of Fireball in honor of uh, the great Gronk, who just retired. Oh my gosh. Rob Gronkowski announced his retirement yesterday. Cannot. I, it's not that shocking. I mean, he was pretty banged up this past year. But, um... Yeah, I just want to say, I hope y'all uh, poured out a shot of Fireball for Gronk. I hope you uh, pour out a shot on the carpet there. Uh, pick up a, a Fathead poster um, of him. And a, also a Snapback hat, of course. A New England Patriots Snapback hat. Or University of Arizona uh, Wildcats. That works too. And also, join his beach football team, the Sandcastle Stompers. Um, that's just a few things that I, I'd like everyone to do in honor of, uh, the great Rob Gronkowski, who announced his retirement from the NFL yesterday. Holy cow. I was so pretty shocked, even though it's not, I mean, they're just coming off the, you're coming off a Super Bowl win, like, it's pretty much no better time to retire. Just go out on top, right? But, I think... I don't know, he's like 30, I think Gronk's 30 now, so that's fairly old for the NFL. I'm not that surprised. Um, let's see. Let's do the Mariners update. Do this every episode. Seattle Mariners, my favorite team, favorite baseball team. They actually played 
their first two regular season games last week against the Oakland A's in Japan. And we're 2-0, baby. The Mares are 2-0. We're, we're first. This might be the only time this whole season that we're uh, first in the AL West. But I'll take it. I'll take that as a Mares fan. It's all good. We beat the A's 9-7 to on Wednesday, March 20th. And then we beat them 5-4 to in extra innings. In 12 innings. So there we go. That's a great start to the season for the Seattle Mariners. And then we play, I like I say we because that's how that's how tight I am with the organization, you know. That's how close knit I am. Um, we play uh the Red Sox on Thursday. We host them, so that's your uh home opener for the Mariners. Let's see who we're playing. We're playing right now. Spring training. Let's see uh what the what's going on there for spring. Okay, we play tonight. Tonight against the Padres, the San Diego San Diego Padres, seven ten p.m. So look out for that. There you go. Um, let's check on the NBA. We do the NBA updates every single episode. So um, let's see. Wow, it looks like there's some soccer going on, but we're not going to talk about that because we're not big soccer people over here at a Starsborn. I mean, maybe you are, but. <laughs> Me? Uh, it's okay. I'll watch, like, the World Cup. I'll tune in for once every four years. Um, Let's see. Supreme Court passes on Jordan Loco dispute? What does that mean? The Supreme Court said Monday it won't step in to referee a copyright dispute between Nike and a photographer who took a well-known image of basketball great Michael Jordan. Probably the one that... Yeah, the one, that, the Jumpman logo. That means lower court rulings for the athletic apparel maker will stand. So photographer Jacobus Rentmeister sued Nike after it used an image he took of Jordan in the 80s as an inspiration uh, for his ads. The Jumpman logo. And Rentmeister's original photo of Jordan was taken for Life magazine in 1984. When Jordan was a student at University of North Carolina. I'm looking at my UNC Tar Heels basketball t-shirt pin right now. My favorite pin out of the whole uh, t-shirt pin series that we did on Stars Born. Um, let's see. So, Rentmeister cried foul. Argued that differences between his photo and Nike's were minor and said that nearly every original element in his photo also appeared in Nike's. And lower courts ruled um, for Nike. So there you go. That is your NBA update there. A little, little business side of the NBA. Not necessarily, it's not all about the games. Sometimes it's about, not everything in life is fun and games, you know. Sometimes it's business. Um... The Joy of Sect. Let's do the Simpsons episode, baby. Every episode we do a different Simpsons episode because that was my favorite show of all time growing up. This one is called The Joy of Sect. February 8th, 1998. Season 9, episode 13. And I chose this one. It relates to... um. It relates to Tom Cruise because... 
In this episode, a cult takes over Springfield and the Simpson family becomes members. <laughs> so, um, the Movementarians is the name of their cult, but it's, it's, they're just making fun of Scientology, kind of, so, and other Scientology, Heaven's Gate, the Unification Church, or the Moonies, the Rajneesh Movement, which is, that's like the Wild Wild Country documentary. The one that I said I was going to watch, but I still haven't watched that on Netflix. It's on my Netflix queue in uh, the People's Temple. So, yeah, that's why I chose this one. This is a super funny episode, though. Um, definitely check it out. Both USA Today and the AV Club feature the joy of sect in lists of important episodes of The Simpsons. So it's a very important episode. Significant. Culturally impactful. It was later analyzed from religious, philosophical, and psychological perspectives. And books on The Simpsons compared the movementarians to many of the same groups from which the writers had drawn influence. So it's a very like realistic it's a realistic depiction of these crazy cults. So it's really funny too. It's a great episode. Um, check it out. Love The Simpsons. If you have never if you've never seen The Simpsons, then I don't know what you're doing. What are you what are you doing? Um let's see. Before we get into Tom Cruise's IMDB. Oh yes. <clears throat> I forgot to mention this is the Ohio episode, as you can see in the podcast description there. And I chose that because Tom Cruise starred in Rain Man alongside Dustin Hoffman. And that road trip actually started in Cincinnati, Ohio. So there you go. There's your connection there to the Ohio. And speaking of Ohio, let's actually take a little peek. They actually did um, advance Ohio State. I'm pretty sure. Who did? They played last evening. Ohio State basketball but speaking of Ohio State and speaking of the state of Ohio right now I'm holding the book Don't Put Me in Coach by Mark Titus I've, I've mentioned Mark Titus before I've talked about him uh, he went to Ohio State walked onto the basketball team there that was like the late 2000s was like 20 maybe 2008 to 2012 or something like that but Oh my goodness. Alright, so Ohio State basketball. So I'm just going to read a little a little bit from his uh, Don't Put Me in Coach. My incredible NCAA journey from the end of the bench to the end of the bench. So here we go. This is chapter 18. Despite all evidence to the contrary, the villain's mental meltdown disguised as a practice um, somehow actually seemed to help our team because we went on a three-game win streak and improved our record to 15-6. and six. Of those three wins, the last game at Penn State was undoubtedly the most memorable game because you're never going to believe this. I made another one of my teammates so infuriated on the plane ride back home that I honestly thought he was about to murder me and eat my corpse. <clears throat> the day before the game, a huge snowstorm was set, set to hit both Ohio and Pennsylvania. So we pushed our flight out to, uh, out of Columbus up a few hours to avoid any problems getting to Happy Valley. We landed in Pennsylvania without any trouble, but what we weren't prepared for was the follow-up snowstorm on the day of the game that made our return flight a real challenge. Even though it was customary for us to fly back to Columbus immediately after the game, no matter how late it might have been, 
I once crawled into my apartment bed at 4 a.m. after a road game. We initially considered spending the night in Happy Valley. But in the end, the flight control people thought that all we needed was a quick plow of the runway and some de-icer on the plane, and we'd be good to go. Since I'm not real fond of people, of telling people how to do their jobs, I figured that if the conditions were good enough for the pilots, they were good enough for me too. This is the same reason why porn doesn't do it for me. I find it extremely condescending for the girl in porn scenes to repeatedly tell the guy, oh yeah, just like that, or give it to me harder, or whatever. The dude is a professional at having sex. I think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> uh, Othello Hunter, on the other hand, didn't feel the same way. And um, let's leave it at that. I think that's a nice little, a nice little chunk from Mark Tice's book. Show his uh, creativity, his hilarious style of writing. Club Trillium. He's actually a part of a. That's how he. That's how he became famous with his his blog, Club Trillion. Got a Club Trillion T-shirt over here. It's awesome. Um, I found about him through uh, Bill Simmons. I've talked about all this before, though. Um, yeah, listen to episode one if you haven't. If you haven't listened to the first twenty-eight episodes of A Star Is Born, go ahead and start at Will Ferrell episode one. Work your way up from there, and join me back here. But um, for those of you who have listened to the first twenty-eight. Ohio State actually lost yesterday. They fell to Houston 74-59. The number three seed Houston. And Ohio State was number 11 seed. So uh, there you go. They're out of the tourney. Another team out of the tourney. Another Midwest team. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, yes. This was a Saturday. I was watching... Uh, Minnesota Louisville in the Cub, in the Student Union Building over here at Washington State University, and this was a funny little thing that happened. I thought uh, they changed the channel. Just one of the one of the students working there just walked up and changed the channel to the big projector TV without asking anyone, and they guess what they changed it to? Our uh, our old buddy, one of my favorite actors. Nicholas Cage. They changed it to Night or uh, Ghost Rider, not Night Rider, Ghost Rider. And uh, everyone started laughing, and making fun of Nicholas Cage, laughing at the idea of watching one of his movies, and um, <laughs> I, I I was getting upset. I almost got, I almost got verbal verbose. I'm, I was on the verge of standing up and just. Just standing up for Nicolas Cage and like defending him, being like, hey, <laughs> hey, just get my my dad voice. Just, hey, you do not make fun of Nicolas Cage movies. But I mean, I was so happy when they changed it back to the Minnesota Louisville game because, I mean, that's why I was there to watch Marked Madness. But still, <laughs> when everyone started making fun of Nicolas Cage, I, I heard the murmurs. I heard the murmurs in the... There's a bunch of it's pretty much a uh, couches. It's three rows of couches in front of the giant projector TV, and um, I just heard some anti Nicholas Cage rumors stirring about those couches. So I was about to get heated there, but <laughs> luckily I kept my cool. Uh, cooler heads prevailed, as they say. 
So I wanted to let y'all know about that. Um, let's see. Ah, oh, this was something funny. So I just heard my roommate told me this actually. That Finding Nemo, when they're you know um, P Sherman Forty Two Wallaby Way, the address of the Australian dentist that Dory has to remember. Did you know? It's a little fun fact here. Did you know P Sherman is just fisherman with a Filipino accent? It's a little uh, little aquatic Easter egg that uh, the Finding Nemo director laid in there for you. So P Sherman, P Sherman, I liked it. That was, I thought that was that caught me by surprise. I was like, what? No way. Um, so there you go. Just wanted to let y'all know about the amp. Uh, yes, I finished Calypso. I can't remember if I told you guys. I finished David Sedaris's Calypso. So that's your Calypso update. All done with that book, his latest book of uh, essays. And then moved on to Dress Your Family in Corduroy and Denim, his next book, um, which actually came out before Calypso. And I'm on page, I think I'm on page like 44 or something of this one. So just got into it. Um, really funny. One of my favorite writers. Um, yum, yum, yum. Batting stance guy. That's something I want to mention. I love, this is a dude. Okay, who's batting stance guy? Uh, he's been on the Sklar Brothers podcast. He's, he's big on like YouTube. I think that's where he became famous. Um, but he, so what he does is he films himself imitating like every, pretty much everyone who's ever taken a swing in major league baseball, like everyone who's ever like appeared at the plate, he knows exact, excuse me, he knows exactly like how they swing, how not, not only how they swing, but how they walk up to the plate, like what they do with their hands, what they look at what their face looks like, just every tiny detail. He gets down to like the exact, it's hilarious. And I just used to, like, I used to like doing that too. Like imitating, oh, like Gary Sheffield. You guys know uh, Gary Sheffield? He played in, he played in the major leagues for a long time. Like the Yankees and Dodgers and some other teams. But he had a very unique uh, batting stance where he would like kind of whip the back he would like whip the bat back and forth while he was uh, waiting for the pitch, basically. Or uh, like Nomar, Nomar Garcia Parra. He'd always, every, in between every single pitch, Nomar Garcia Parra would take his batting gloves off. He'd like, he undoes the Velcro on him and then redoes it. In between every single pitch. That is such an insane, that's like OCD at its finest. Like, that's like the OCD, that makes... OCD people proud. The the OCD gods make them proud. But um seriously. Like how how is that not a thing? I think they may have changed the rules actually in Major League Baseball to try to speed up the game. But I don't honestly, I don't think the batter should be able to step out of the box, like in between pitches. I don't see why under what reason under what circumstances would they have to step out of the box? It just doesn't really make sense. <laughs> like David Ortiz is always—he always spits in his bag gloves, just hawks a huge loogie in there. 
I was like, that's kind of gross. Like, what's the point of having batting gloves if you're going to spit in them? That's that's disgusting. <laughs> that's disgusting. Seriously. And then um, what's another good? Ichiro. Ichiro has a very uh, unique, distinct, um, where he like points the bat at the pitcher, basically. It's kind of like, kind of similar to Babe Ruth. Like, you know how Babe Ruth called a shot? I guess that's that's kind of that's kind of what that's like. Um, let's see. Here's something. I walked by. I was walking through downtown Pullman the other day, and I walked by Pups and Cups Cafe. So it's a pet themed cafe, and I was like, just completely taken off guard. Like what? So let's see. I just want to see like what it is. I don't really understand. What's a pet themed cafe? Um, let's see. I'm on their Facebook page right now. Nah, I'm, I'm gonna get off their Facebook page. I guess I'll go to. They only have four reviews on Yelp, so. It's like a, eh, I don't know. I just thought it was so interesting. Like, why would you? A cafe doesn't, that doesn't yell dogs at you. You know, you know everyone brings their dog to the coffee shop nowadays and but usually keep it outside though but like a cafe for dogs though it's like hotel for dogs just the sequel to hotel for dogs um let's see it just says they're locally owned and operated coffee tea house wine bar and eatery they're pet friendly and feature local okay so it's just basically it's basically a coffee shop but they're pet friendly so it's not really, they probably sell some dog treats and toys and stuff, but <laughs> it's not like the uh, dogs playing poker poster that I was imagining. I was imagining like dogs reading newspapers and drinking coffee, but I suppose that's not the case. It's not the case. Um, oh, this was something fun I heard. Andrew Dice Clay, the famous comedian, he actually came out with an album of just like him bombing like him doing just doing terribly in comedy clubs and he came out with a a two disc album of that and i just like i love it i i was so happy when i heard that because like those are my i'd rather sounds crazy i'd almost rather listen to a comedian doing poorly in front of an audience like just bombing in front of an audience than someone just killing and doing really well. Just because it's like really interesting to hear how the comedian reacts. Like how they like how they bounce back from the audience just giving them the cold shoulder. And I don't know. I think it's it's just it's more real. It's more like authentic. It's more because like anyone can kill. Anyone can do really well, but like it's all about how you deal with failure. It's just come it's like real life. It's all about how you how you bounce back from failure, how you deal with rejection. That's like the more, it reveals more character, I think. It reveals more of like the true self than than when someone does well. When someone does well, like everyone's pretty much the same when they do well. Everyone's happy when you do well. But when you do terrible, that's what separates the greats from the could-bes, right? Ooh, I like that. Yeah, because... 
the greats, the legends, it doesn't matter how many times they fail or don't do well or bomb in front of an audience because they always bounce back. They always come back harder. They come back twice as hard. So that's why I like the idea of Andrew Dice Clay doing an album only bombing. I love it. That's awesome. Um, Let's see. Oh, this was something I want to mention before we get into Tom Cruise's IMDb page. Look at his films. Let's look at a little... Um... Oh, yes, I also want to plug... I forgot to say this in my plugs. His video with James Cordron. When Tom Cruise takes James Cordron uh, skydiving, you guys got to watch that. It's on, like, YouTube. It's so... That's such a great video. It's awesome. I'm a fan of... I like James Cordron. He's a uh, James Corden's really funny, but um, when he's got oh my gosh, like it's crazy how calm when Tom Cruise jumps out of the airplane, like he looks like he's just like about to like curl up in front of a fire, like with a cup of hot cocoa. Like he's so he's so like zen. Tom Cruise is the zen skydiving master. It's crazy. This. Here's another uh, regular segment here. It's called the pie graph segment. So I've been making pie graphs for each episode. This one is Tom Cruise's favorite modes of transportation. So let's start start at the bottom here. 1% is Vespa. Uh, That little scooter, you know, a little European scooter. 8%, speaking of skydiving, skydiving. Uh, 12% is swimming with sharks. 22% just running. It's just running. Nothing nothing specific. Just flat out running. And then the winner. Tom Cruise's favorite mode of transportation. 57%. Uh, I'm guessing you all could have guessed it. Pretty, pretty basic for Tom Cruise. Pretty, pretty much uh, step one. Tom Cruise 101 right here. His favorite mode of transportation, motorcycles. Motorcycle, of course. 57% motorcycle. So there you go. Um, oh, this was something I wanted to mention here. It's completely random here. Not related to Tom Cruise or Ohio or anything, really. Just something that happened a couple months ago. I stayed, I was hanging out with uh, my buddy Brett, Brett Hogue. I ended up staying the night at his house down in Seattle. And did not have my car, so I had a, my mom pick me up in Seattle. But I met her at the Northgate Mall. And I just remember, so I walked about a mile from Brett's house to the Northgate Mall. And I went to Starbucks, got an iced coffee, light ice. They probably gave me too much ice. Um, but then I just walked the entire length of the Northgate Mall. If you've ever, ever been there in Seattle, it's a really weird mall. It's it's very um dystopic. Is that is that the word for it? Like it's like Avatar. It's uh futuristic. It's it's like a spaceship. I don't know how to it's dystopia. It's a u- utopia, dystopia. Very hard to hard to explain, but <laughs> basically one narrow uh, aisle like the whole mall is just one narrow aisle that extends like a half mile long and there's just stores on either side but it's probably probably only like 
20 feet wide at the widest, but it just goes like a half mile long. So it's very, it's a weird layout for a mall. Like I've never seen anything like it, but and it, just the way that must've been like the way that the sun was shining in through the windows that morning. But I was like, I felt like Tom Cruise walking into a Scientology spaceship or something. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, whoa, uh, bring it back to Tom Cruise. Um, one other thing here. This was from my Western days. My days at a Western Washington University up in Bellingham. I went there during my freshman year and sophomore year of college. Uh, second, I guess, second semester of freshman year because I went to Washington State here in Pullman first semester of freshman year. But anywho, so I had a math class up in Western and it was just this, this is kind of like the opposite side of the spectrum here because this took me in the other direction. Like while the, the Northgate Mall seemed just like futuristic and dystopic and weird and it's like Scientology, <laughs> um, the math classroom at Western, it was wood paneled and there's like a chalkboard and just these tiny, those tiny wooden desks that had the they have like the table that folds up and down that's connected to the desk. And it just, I don't know, it seemed like whenever I walked into that classroom, it seemed like another another century, another decade, another time. I felt like I was in like a New England prep school. Speaking of Rob Gronkowski, I, I just felt, it felt like Catcher in the Rye kind of like, that kind of like, very New England, like apple cidery, you know, very preppy. But I don't know. I liked it, though. Because then at the same time, Western had like a really futuristic, like they had this one room, this one building that you walk through it and you look up to the sky and you can just see the sky because you're bo- it's a building where you're both inside and outside at the same time, like in the middle of it. Like, you walk into the middle of the building, and then it's just open sky. It's insane. There's, like, a garden in there. It's a very cool. But then at the same time, they have this old-school math classroom that's just catching the ride, just uh, dead poet society, just all wooden tiny desks, probably huge clouds of chalk just floating around the classroom. But I like that. I like being able to... I actually prefer like the old school, the old school model. I think that, I think the technology, like people who use iPads, like they're introducing more iPads to colleges these days. I think that just distracts, I don't know. Sounds, sounds like I'm like really old school right now, but get off my lawn, get off my porch, Steve Jobs. But um, I think that's just, that stuff's too distracting for students because they just associate like iPads and iPhones with just like messing around and just playing on their phone. That's not learning. I like a good old a chalkboard and just nothing more. Just back to the basics. Because then no distractions. You can really, you can get like a really good like student to teacher, like interactions, like good teaching moments. I think there's a lot to be gained in those kind of old school, old school learning settings. That's just my, that's my two cents there.
my $2 bill on that one. Um, oh my goodness. Let's before before we get into Tom Cruise's IMDb here, I think now is a good time. I'm going to take a little little break here, refresh myself. Um, get ready. We'll come back. We'll read the recipe from the uh Cooking the Fast Way, the Maywood Hills recipe book. But um yeah, y'all have a good break. I'll be right back. Hey, hey, how was your break? Hope it was productive. Did you think about your favorite Tom Cruise movie? Maybe bust out a sweet wheelie on a scooter? I feel like Tom Cruise was scooter. <laughs> he would, he's like an adult scooter person. I, I could totally see him just rolling around. He probably rollerblades. I don't see why not. Effective. Effective mode transportation. Like adult wheelies, I guess. <laughs> and, oh, yes, this was, I was just going to mention. Um, it's interesting. I was just talking about the difference between the futuristic mall, the Northgate Mall, versus the old school math classroom at Western Washington. And it's, I just think it's weird because it wouldn't be as effective if you had the old school, like, wood paneled look in, like, a mall. It doesn't, that doesn't like shout like, like shopping, like spend money. But at the same time, I mean, I guess Urban Outfitters kind of does that. They kind of, they rock that look. So it's like HG, it looks like HGTV in there. Whenever you go in Urban Outfitters, I feel like they're filming an HGTV show. So much wood paneling. But, um, yes. So that's interesting. I feel like there's this architecture i think they're like there's more psychological uh, effects like intended on the audience like i think they're trying to they're trying to like mess with our brains more than we realize it like that's why like certain buildings look like the way they do i don't know i think i think it's all like that's why apple stores are basically like a just giant open warehouse like those are you ever think about how an apple store like how weird it looks why does it look like that? And then Costco? Think about Costco. It's just a big warehouse. Why? It's because no one cares what Costco looks like. They just want to get a 60-pack of protein bars. Just buy bulk food in peace. Um, Let's do... Yeah, let's do as promised. Here's a few recipes from Cooking the Fast Way. Uh, the Maywood Hills recipe book. Here we go. This one's from the Quig family, and it's just very simply titled The Salad. So they're just claiming this is the only salad here. Um, your ingredients, one head of romaine lettuce, pecans, walnuts, or walnuts, uh, chopped to taste, sliced red onion to taste, chunks of gorgonzola cheese to taste, craisins to taste, and Italian dressing to taste. I don't know why it said to taste after all those things. Uh, chopped romaine lettuce, place in bowl, top with pecans or walnuts, red onion, gorgonzola cheese, and craisins. Pour Italian dressing over salad, toss together, and serve. Very simple. Very That sounds delicious, though. Like I said, gorgonzola cheese. My favorite cheese. Uh, I, th I can't remember if I put Gouda second. But I think 
right now. Gouda cheese, just I'm craving some Gouda cheese right now. That sounds delicious, but I'd have to go Gouda second behind Gorgonzola. So let's do let's do another one here. This recipe is tortellini soup from Leslie Wilson. One package of fresh tortellini, one package of mild Italian sausage cooked, two cans of diced tomatoes with basil and garlic, one bunch of spinach washed, salt, oregano, basil, chicken bouillon. And directions. Cook tortellini as directed, but do not drain water. Add cooked sausage, diced tomatoes with basil and garlic and spinach. Season to taste with salt, oregano, basil, and chicken bouillon. Very good. I think personally the salad sounds better for me. I'm more of a salad person than a soup person. But let's do one more soup here. Tortilla soup from Don McCravey. My mom's my mom's old friend who moved back to Texas. She used to live right down the hill from us. Alright, here we go. A half cup of butter. One and a half cups of flour, a half gallon of chicken stock, a half teaspoon of white pepper, one cup of Monterey Jack cheese, one cup of cheddar cheese, two cups of half and half, two teaspoons of jalapenos diced, ten ounces of canned rotel, one cup of cooked chicken chopped. And directions, melt butter and mix in flour to make paste, add chicken stock slowly, bring to boil, add remaining ingredients, Simmer and serve. That sounds like a like a really fun 80s cop duo show. Simmer and serve. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Um, that sounds very delicious. Tortilla soup. There you go. I like a good tortilla. Uh, now is a great time. I'm going to read... The Ohio section from Andrew F. Wood, uh, his book, Road Trip America. So we've been doing this for each state. So here we go. This is Ohio. There's a picture of Tony Paco's Pickles and Peppers, the originals. There's a picture, looks like a tiki torch here. And then Parkway Restaurant. And that's in Mansfield, Ohio. It's like a little diner. Kind of reminds me of like the Pulp Fiction Diner. And then, or maybe the Swingers, the Swingers Diner. Uh, this is Amity Hotel Courts. There's another picture here. I'm just, I like telling you guys about pictures, you know, just picture it in your head, okay? I know it's an audio podcast, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. Did you know, fun fact, the humble traffic light, the roadside sentry whose blinking eyes frustrate the speedy while ensuring the smooth flow of traffic, was born in London and raised in Detroit. But it took an African-American inventor named Garrett Morgan to liberate it from human hands. In 1923, he designed the first automatic traffic signal. Its first home was in Cleveland. And greetings from Ohio. A journey to the Buckeye State is a trip to the heart of America. Water sports, farmland, urban growth, suburban sprawl, country charm, and big city culture all spread along gently undulating ro- roads, rivers, hills, and plains. Roadside culture flourishes in Ohio in offbeat forms such as the Goodyear World of 
World of Rubber in Akron, the Airstream Factory Tour in Jackson Center, and the Kenneth Berger Hearing Aid Museum and Archives located at Kent State. You'll even discover the, the birthplace of a burger institution in the state's capital. Fast food first. You see, try as he might, Dave Thomas just couldn't find a decent hamburger in Columbus, Ohio. So we looked back on the skills he learned while working at Kentucky Fried Chicken and decided to open a clean, reasonably priced hamburger joint in the middle of town. He named it after one of his daughters, Wendy. His grandmother never, uh, his grandmother taught him to never cut corners, so he kept his hamburgers square. After Dave's death in 2002, America may have lost a homespun hero, but folks can still journey to the place where it all began. The museum filled with advertisements and other memorabilia, it's worth the drive. Sadly, Columbus has not shown reverence for all its roadside, roadside attractions. Until its closing in 2000, the Kahiki Supper Club offered world-renowned Polynesian-style dining, pseudo-exotic pseudo ambience, and dangerously fruity drinks. Entering through a pair of flaming tiki gods, you'd find yourself in a darkly lit reproduction of a New Guinea men's meeting house filled with walls and aquariums, artificial rain rainforests, and mystery drinks served by anonymous island girls whose presence would be announced by a loud gong. Given the ominous number of flaming icons, meals, and drinks, a writer for the Columbus Dispatch observed that the Kahiki is one of the few restaurants in which the food can injure you. Today, Lovers of the classic Kahiki Bimon is passing, demolished to make way for a drugstore. But they wait for the gentle sway of ocean breezes to bring the tiki spirit back to Columbus in the form of a new supper club to be built in the near future. Head northwest to Toledo and stop by a classic cafe, cafe whose rumblings are not Polynesian but Hungarian. Tony Paco's Cafe. For many folks, the first recollection, recollection of Tony Paco's Cafe comes from Corporal Klinger, the wacky company clerk in the long-running CBS hit M.A.S.H. In several episodes, Klinger celebrated the best and technically the first Hungarian hot dog that ever graced a plate, available only in his hometown. Tony Paco's wasn't the stuff of television fiction, though. The Toledo Eatery has served chili cheese artery busters since the days of the Depression when a factory worker decided to try his hand in the restaurant business. Now an essential Toledo stop, Tony Paco celebrates its many celebrity diners with walls covered by a thousand hot dog buns signed by political figures, actors, and other notables. Stop by and try the Chili Sunday chili, sour cream, and cheese in a Sunday glass with warm chips on the side. Chili Sunday. Wow, that's a... So yeah, there's your tea, Torch. That's what that was about. Um, Never seen MASH. Never seen a single episode of MASH. And I did not know that Wendy's is from Ohio. But there you go. You learn something new every day, right? Wendy's is probably... I'd say Wendy's might be my second favorite fast food behind uh, Mickey D's. Taco Bell's up there too, but kind of depends if I want the the Mexican food or the burgers. Um, let's say here. Let's get into Tom Cruise. Seems like a good time. So, his first credit. 
1981, he is Billy in Endless Love. Uh, 1981, he plays David Sean in Taps. What was Taps about? Taps, 126 minutes, drama, PG. Military cadets take extreme measures to ensure the future of their academy when its existence is threatened by local condo developers. I've I've heard of Sean Penn's in it too. Heard of it, but... Then what's Endless Love? Endless Love is high school students' love for a 15-year-old girl is thwarted by parental disapproval, circumstance, and accident. 160 minutes, Rom Drom, Brooke Shields. Um, 1983, for this one's the classic. He is, um, who's he play here? Who's he play? Steve Randall. The Outsiders, crime drama, 91 minutes, PG. The rivalry between two gangs, the poor greasers and the rich socks, only heats up. Soch? Is it Soch's? I can't, I, I, I haven't seen this. I think it's, I've heard people talk about it though. It's spelled S-O-C-S. I think it's the Soch's. I don't think it's the Socks. <laughs> that wouldn't be a very tough gang name. The Socks. <laughs> hey. Hey, you guys wearing flip-flops with the socks. <laughs> you can't wear flip-flops with the socks. Um, only, only heats up when one gang member kills a member of the other. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. This is lots of Matt Dillon's in this one. Uh, Karate Kids in this, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, some big names in this one. 1983, Losing It, he plays Woody. Man, he's in a lot of movies there, right away in the early 80s. It's a comedy drama, 100 Minutes, Red R. Set in 1965, four rowdy teenage guys traveled to Tijuana, Mexico for a night of partying and they're joined by a heartbreaking housewife who is in town seeking a quick divorce. Wow. What a plot. A TJ movie. Oh, I've heard this one, of course. 1983 plays Joel in Risky Business. 99 minute comedy crime drama. Rate R. Chicago teenagers looking for fun at home. While his parents are away, but the situation quickly gets out of hand. That's like, that could be any 80s movie. <laughs> that just described, that was a hundred 80s movies that just described a Chicago teenager who's left home alone and, and then the situation gets out of hand. Come on. Ferris Bueller? There's, there's a bunch of other ones. Fair, Breakfast Club? Come on now. Any John Hughes movie. Uh, who directed this one though? Paul Brickman, some some guy named... What's Paul Brickman done? Sounds like a made-up name. It's like one of those names where he, he had to make it up on the spot. Uh, Paul, he just looks at a, a building. Uh, Brick? Brickman? <laughs> uh, he's a writer on true crime. All right. Um, not much other stuff for Paul Brickman. His birthday is the day before mine, though. That's cool. There we go. Um, 
1983, uh, another big one, plays Stefan, what's his name? It's like George, George Devich. He's a, he's a tennis player, George Devich. Um, he's a high school, he's actually a high school football player, desperate for a scholarship, and his headstrong coach clashed in a dying Pennsylvania steel town. 91 minute drama romance sport, Raid R. A lot of these Tom Cruise movies, these early Tom Cruise movies are Raid R. Huh. His coach? His coach is coach. Craig T. Nelson. His coach is coach. Um, 1985, Legend. He plays Jack. A young, what's this? A young man must stop the Lord of Darkness from both destroying daylight and marrying the woman he loves? What? The Lord of Darkness? It's like a Pink Floyd music video or something. 94 minutes. Adventure, fantasy, romance. PG. This one's only PG. Oh, speaking of Ferris Bueller. Sloan. Sloan's in this one. Mia Sarah. I don't think I've ever seen Mia Sarah in, a, in another movie other than Ferris Bueller. I don't, I don't get it. She was so great in that one. Uh, oh, here we go. This is going to be, sorry to spoil the top three, but this one's definitely top three right here. 1986, plays Maverick, Top Gun. Oh my God, I can't wait till Top Gun 2 comes out. 110 minutes, action, drama. Only PG, what? How is Top Gun only PG? As students at the... Navy, the U.S. Navy's elite fighter weapons school competes to be the best in class. One daring young pilot learns a few things from a civilian instructor that are not taught in the classroom. This is a great movie. Love it. It's one of those movies that probably inspired like 10,000 people to try their hand at becoming a pilot. I bet, I bet so many people got private like pilot licenses after they saw Top Gun. It's like, I want to do a barrel roll. Because video games were now. You couldn't, you couldn't just do that stuff in a video game. You had to go and do it in real life. What else? There's no simulator. There's no virtual reality. It's just it's real life, son. You got to go be a pilot, son. <laughs> um, 1986. The Color of Money. He plays Vincent Loria. I've heard this one, too. Man. Tom Cruise was just prolific in the 80s. He came out of the gates hot. Is there any is there anyone who's ever had like more big movies in the first 5 years of their career than Tom Cruise? Come out hot. Come out hot. Color of money. Uh, drama sport 119 minutes. Another rated R. Fast Eddie Felsen teaches a cocky but immensely talented protege the ropes of pool hustling, which in turn ins- inspires him to make an unlikely comeback. What? Um, I just heard that. How did pool? Origin of pool name. Origin of pool name. Game? Pool game? I heard. Yeah. Why, why was it named pool? Why is it called pool? The word pool means a collective bet or ante. Um, 
Many non-billiards games, such as poker, involve a pool. Uh, I, I think it's how did billiards become pool? Yeah, so that's why they they call it pool because. Because they bet on it, I suppose. I I guess that's why. Because <laughs> it's billiards with betting. You pool your money together in a collective bet. There we go. Um, there's your pool, pool history lesson. Eh, eh. Very good. I think we've actually talked about that before. I'm terrible at pool. I'm not very good. I think it's one of those things where you have to play it like at least once a week or something to keep up on it. I don't know. That might just be my excuse from a a, a terrible pool player. <laughs> That's that sounds like something a terrible pool player would say. Uh, so Tom Cruise, 1988, he plays Brian Flanagan, Flanagan, Cocktail, a rom-com drama, 104 minutes, read R, talented New York State bartender, takes a job at a bar in Jamaica and falls in love. This is one of those classic, Bill Simmons loves this movie, this one of those classic, uh, good bad movies like I think it's like 5% Rotten Tomatoes so the critics don't like it but it's kind of like a cult classic speaking of cult classics 1988 Rain Man 133 minutes drama rated R we just talked about Rain Man beginning of the episode this is the one with Dustin Hoffman selfish yuppie Charlie Babbitt's father Left a fortune to his savant brother Raymond and a pittance to Charlie. They travel cross country. And Tom Cruise is Charlie. Dustin Hoffman is Raymond. I have not seen Rain Man. I'd probably like it though, because it falls into one of my favorite genres of movie. Uh Road Trip. Along with comedy, horror, heist, reunion, and boardwalk. I think we're just gonna established that boardwalk is one of the genres that was that was up in the air for a while there but the judges have ruled letters have come in the emails have been sent and um yeah we're gonna we're gonna say that boardwalk is an official genre of movie we've talked about that before on our stars born um let's see 1989 born on the 4th of july plays Ron Kovich. That's funny because Tom Cruise's birthday is the 3rd of July, July 3rd. So that's kind of funny. Um, 145 minutes. Dang, it's a long one. Red R, biography, drama, war. The biography of Ron Kovich. Paralyzed in the Vietnam War, he becomes an anti-war and pro-human rights political activist after feeling betrayed by the country he fought for. Dang. That sounds like a really intense movie. Um, nineteen ninety kind of, kind of reminds me of the end of American Sniper. No spoilers. America, I've, I was hearing people. Can't remember what um, podcast I was listening to, but they were talking American Sniper, and people were arguing. I think it was Joe Rogan. Tom Segura was saying that he loved American Sniper, and then Ari Shafir was saying how he didn't like it. Yeah, I think I fall somewhere in the middle there. 
Yeah, somewhere in the middle. That was pretty good. I think Bradley Cooper's a really good actor. Uh, so 1990. I like how bold of a stance I took there. Eh, I'm somewhere in the middle. It was pretty good. <laughs> it was a decent movie. I think I'd say I'm more on Tom Segura's side. I thought it was American Sniper is a good movie. But I haven't seen it since... I think I saw it in... Maybe I saw it in theaters. And that's it. Or right when it came out on DVD. Um, Here we go. 1990. Days of Thunder. Plays Cole Trickle. It's the go-karting one. Young hotshot stock car. Or stock car. I think he starts as a go-kart driver though. Uh, stock car driver gets his chance to compete at the top level. 107 minutes, action, drama, sport, PG-13. <laughs> I mean, I think he does. I don't know anything about this movie, so I don't know why I'm saying go-karts, but I think I just think it's a go-kart movie because The Simpsons parodied it, and um, everything The Simpsons do, I take their word for it. <laughs> Let's see. 1992, Far and Away, plays Joseph Donnelly. Man, he's in some great movies. Tom Cruise, we'll see later in his career, but he kind of faded away. The beginning of his career, like the first decade, he was just on fire. So far and away, 140 minutes, adventure, drama, romance, PG-13. A young Irish couple flee to the States, but subsequently struggle to obtain land and prosper freely. Oh, oh he's Nicole Kidman with his... Uh, Future ex-wife. When did he get married to... Let's see the Tom Cruise. Because he was married to um Nicole Kidman and Katie Holmes. But I think we need to get the marriage timeline now. Let's establish. Here we are. Wow, he was actually married back in 1987. And then he divorced 1990. Some lady named Mimi Rogers... Oh, she, she's a she's an actress. I've never heard of her though. Um, she's from Florida. She's a little older than Tom Cruise. Excuse me. She's um, she was born in '56. Tom Cruise was born in '63. But, or no, Tom Cruise was born in '62. Same year as my parents. Yeah, I did not know he was married to Mimi Rogers. But then, wow. He, he he was divorced from Mimi in 1990. Then he married Nicole Kidman in 1990. What? He just turned around and married Nicole Kidman just right away. Um, She was only 23 at the time. And then he divorced her. Wow, he's married to Nicole Kidman for a long time. 2001. Then he married Katie Holmes in 2006. Wow. Katie Holmes is way younger than Tom Cruise. <laughs> she was born December 18th, 1978. She's like, wow, she's over 16 years younger than him. Way younger than him. I did not realize that. I thought Katie Holmes was a little closer to his age. There you go. I guess, I mean, it doesn't matter, whatever. Tom, he's Tom Cruise. I can't believe Tom Cruise doesn't have, how is he not married to like, <laughs> it just doesn't make doesn't make any sense. You would think that Tom Cruise would be married to like a like a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model, like right now. But I guess he's 
he can do whatever he wants because he's it's freaking Tom Cruise, dude. Can you imagine like <laughs> just wake you wake up in the morning like you forget who you are, you just look in the mirror, you have your Jason Bourne moment, just whoa. Like, I wonder if he ever just forgets he, he's Tom Cruise, but then he looks in the mirror and just smiles, and he's like, okay, what's up? <laughs> we back in it. Um, man, let's... All right, 1992. A Few Good Men. This is a great movie. A Few Good Men's a great movie. Lieutenant Daniel Caffey. Caffey. Daniel Caffey. We watched this one in um, history class. Back in high school. This is a good movie. Demi Moore. Demi Moore. Jack Nicholson. Kevin Bacon. Zero Degrees from Kevin Bacon. Jack Bowers in it. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Kevin Pollock is in it. Used to have a podcast with... What's his name? Oh my gosh, how can I not remember his name? The guy who's always on... He's always on Douglas Movies... He was on uh, Sam Levine. Yep, Sam Levine. Always on Douglas movies. He was on um, Freaks and Geeks. He was one of the... What, one of the geeks in Freaks and Geeks? Uh, but A Few Good Men is a great movie. It's a drama, thriller, 138 minutes, rated R. Military lawyer, Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, defends Marines accused of murder. Murder. They contend they were acting under orders. Oh my gosh. This is the one where that he yells. Oh my God. Where they yell about. I think it's Jack Nicholson yells like, Did you order the code red? Did I order the code red? They're just yelling at each other. It's a very intense court movie. If you like courthouse scenes, then A Few Good Men's a good movie for you. Speaking of courthouse scenes... 1993, The Firm. Tom Cruise plays a young lawyer joins a prestigious law firm only to discover that it has a sinister dark side. I believe this one is... Yeah, this one's based on the John Grisham book. Uh, John Grisham, one of my favorite writers. I mean, I really like John Grisham, but I'm not a huge fan of like, the, the lawyer, like the law stuff that he writes about. Which is like most of his books are related to law. Because he's a lawyer. But my favorite John Grisham book is Skipping Christmas. It's the one the one that Christmas with the Cranks is based off. I love that book. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But The Firm. What a long movie here. 154 minutes. Wow. Gene Hackman's in it too. It's rated R. Okay. 1994, Interview with the Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles, plays Lestat. I've heard of this one, too. Oh, Brad Pitt was in this one, too. Okay. And Christian Slater. 123 Minutes, Drama, Horror, Red R. A Vampire Tells His Epic Life Story, Love, Betrayal, Loneliness, and Hunger. Wow. This sounds like a very interesting, like, ahead of his time kind of movie. Kind of like, how are there not more vampire movies? Like, why did, why did zombies become such a popular genre, but vampires didn't, like, explode in the same way? It's kind of interesting. 
Because you don't really hear about any good vampire movies. But there's a ton of big zombie movies. It's kind of the same deal. Um, let's see. It's weird how some things just take off. Other things, other things don't. 1996. Ethan Hunt in the very first of the epic Tom Cruise franchise, Mission Impossible. Impossible. 110 minutes, PG-13. Action, adventure, thriller. An American agent, under false suspicion of disloyalty, must discover and expose the real spy without the help of his organization. Uh, the great... Was Philip Seymour Hoffman in this one? I don't know if he's in the first one, but... John Voight. Uh, Ving Rhames. This is... I have not seen the first one. but I've only seen a couple of those ones. I'm not as big of a Mission Impossible fan as... I mean, it's, it's alright, but... It's kind of just like... It's like a very generic action movie to me. Kind of just reminds me of... If you put like all the elements of an action movie and just threw them in a the blender... And then just like made an action movie smoothie. Just put it in a very generic red cup. That's what that would be. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone drinking a smoothie out of a red cup though. That's not really something that happens. <laughs> Alas, um, you'd probably be drinking the smoothie out of one of those, what, like one of those like blender, you know like those protein shake blender water balls? People shake them up. They have like that little weird like corkscrew in them. You know what I'm talking about. The protein shake water balls. Okay, 1996. Jerry Maguire. He plays Jerry Maguire. I have not seen this one either. It's a classic. I haven't seen a lot of these classic movies. It's a rom-com drama. 139 minutes, rated R. When a sports agent has a moral epiphany is fired for expressing it, he decides to put his new philosophy to test as an independent agent with the only athlete who stays with him and his former secretary. So, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., Renee Zellweger. Oh, yeah, that's the one where they, show me the money. Show me the money. Um, 1999. Eyes Wide Shut plays Dr. William Hartford. Gosh, Tom Cruise movies are long. Oh my goodness. 159 minutes. Radar, drama, mystery, thriller. A New York City doctor embarks on a harrowing, night-long odyssey of sexual and moral discovery after his wife reveals a painful secret to him. Oh, this was a Stanley Kubrick who did... Didn't he do Clockwork Orange? Yep. I don't think I've any to the 2001 Space Odyssey, too. I don't think I've read Clockwork Orange, but I think I've always, like, wanted to read it. Maybe I did read it. It's, like, one of those classic, in the same vein as Catcher in the Rye, to Kill Mockingbird. One of those ones that you probably would have read, read in school. I may have. Um, the Simpsons parodied that one, too. <laughs> they did. Parodied everything. Uh, Nicole Kidman is in this one. Man. Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman were in some movies together while they were married. 1999 video short. 
Amy Mann, Save Me. He plays Frank T.J. Mackey. It's so weird that Tom Cruise would be in like a music video at this time in his career when he's, he's like as most famous. He's in a music video. Eh. Amy Mann. Okay. 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 1999. Magnolia. Oh, okay. It's because it must have been linked to Magnolia because he plays the same character, Frank T.J. Mackey. I have not seen Magnolia either. Holy Toledo. It's 188 minutes. This movie's over three hours long. Drama, rate R. An epic mosaic of interrelated characters in search of love, forgiveness, and meaning in the San Fernando Valley. This was a PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, the the janitor from Scrubs is in it. <laughs> Neil Flynn. He's hilarious. Uh, this was the one where, was it like frogs are raining or something? I've never seen it, but I just remember hearing about that. I heard it somewhere on the grapevine. Uh, 2000, Mission Impossible 2. The sequel. Wow. Four years in between the first movie and the second one. It's a long time. He plays Ethan Hunt. Uh, 2001. Oh my gosh. This is a controversial movie. This was an example of one that I do not like this movie at all. But people seem to like it. Maybe I didn't understand it. I don't know what it was. We talked about this. The Penelope Cruz episode was Stars Born. This is Vanilla Sky. Tom Cruise plays David Ames. Um, a self-indulgent, vain publishing magnet finds his privileged life upended after a vehicular accident with a resentful lover. Another long movie. It's like some sort of like clause in Tom Cruise's contract that says all his movies have to be over two hours. I swear. This one's 136 minutes. It's a fantasy mystery romance rate R. This movie is just so weird. It's an example of like... Uh, it just seems like it was written like... It seems like they wrote the script, but then they just jumbled it all up and like put the beginning and the end and then the end in the middle and then just switched everything up. It just didn't make any sense. But And it's one of those movies that was like super stylistic. But it's like it was style over substance, I would say. The classic is classic example. Not enough substance. Didn't make any sense. Like you can do who directed it? I'm 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 getting mad. Like you can do all the Oh, this was a Cameron Crowe movie? Oh my god. Okay. The Avatar guy. Right? Didn't Cameron Crowe do Avatar? No, that was James Cameron. What am I talking about? I'm getting my cameras mixed up. Uh, Cameron Crowe was almost famous. Jerry Maguire. Singles. Aloha. Uh, Aloha is another crazy movie that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Aloha is basically Vanilla Sky, but in Hawaii. But, um, oh my gosh, I cannot emphasize enough how much Vanilla Sky just made no sense to me. Maybe I'll have to rewatch it. I think I probably watched it definitely like in college, probably when I was at Western or something. 
Um, just a crazy movie. Like, I don't know. I'd rather, I'd rather understand a movie and not like it than just not completely not understand any of it and just have it be complete, like very confusing and not make any sense. I'd rather just understand it and just not like it. But that's just me. Because <laughs> Vanilla Sky is like, I understand that it was like cool camera angles and very well directed and whatnot, all that good, all that jazz. But if the plot's not there, the plot's not there. <laughs> if the plot's not there, I'm not there. <laughs> That's my saying. Uh, let's move on. It's like one of those examples, like Vanilla. They definitely came up with that title before they wrote the movie. You know it. They, Cameron Crowe came up with the title Vanilla Sky, and he's just like. All right, let's just go from there. Like this, I think they forgot to do the part where they actually write the movie. Though they they just came up with the movie title and then just made it right after that. They just <laughs> directed it, <laughs> filmed it right after they came up with the movie title. That's why I think I think they forgot to write the plot. <laughs> I don't know why I'm just. This is like the angriest I've ever gotten about a movie. And he calmed down. Uh, Vanilla Sky. It sounds like a shampoo flavor. Or maybe like a Yankee candle. Okay, let go, let go. <laughs> 2002, Minority Report. Chief John Anderton. Anderton. Never heard that last name. Kind of, almost like Arneson. Anderton? Another long movie. Every single movie Tom Cruise is in, 145 minutes, action, crime, mystery, PG-13. In a future where a special police unit is able to arrest murderers before they commit their crimes, an officer from that unit is himself accused of a future murder. Wow. I had no idea that's what that was about. Sounds kind of interesting. Sounds like a Tom Cruise movie. Um, I think now, I think now's a good time. I'm going to take a little, a little break ski. Y'all can think about, you can think about what, if you were going to write a movie and Tom Cruise was going to star in it, what would it be? What would it be about? And, um, I'll be right back from this brief commercial break. Dodgeball. That's my idea. Sequel to Dodgeball. That's what I want Tom Cruise to be in. I would like him to play Dwight, uh, not Dwight Gooden, White Goodman's childhood friend. Uh, I think that'd be hilarious. And then he would start a third gym, like more of a direct rival to Globo Gym. Um, kind of different from Average Joe's. But um, yeah, that's a movie that needs a sequel. Dodgeball, a true underdog story. So that's my idea for the next Tom Cruise movie. Kind of a little change up on the old, the old made up movie, using a current movie and saying, "Let's make him this. Let's make it a sequel." Oh, oh my gosh! What would his character name be? I feel like it'd be like, I could see like, Brad, Brad, Vine, Vineland, Boris, Boris Vineland. There we go. Not Boris. Brad. I like Brad. Brad Vineland. 
V-I-N-E-L-A-N-D. There we go. He's a White Goodman's friend, childhood friend, and turned rival. Kind of like a more evil version of White Goodman. I think uh, Tom Cruise's character from Tropic Thunder, but more more dodgeball shape. <laughs> um, here we go. 2002. Awesome Powers in Goldmember. He plays... Tom Cruise plays himself, slash famous Austin, Austin Pussy. Um, this, that was funny. Austin Powers is funny movies. I don't think I've seen that last one, though. Uh, 2003, The Last Samurai, plays Nathan Algren. I've heard of this one. An American military advisor embraces the samurai culture he was hired to destroy after he's captured in battle. Oh my gosh, guess how long it is, <laughs> 2 hours and 34 minutes, holy Toledo, action, drama, war, rated R, it's like all these movies have to be, seriously, Tom Cruise, he'll only do a movie if it's over 2 hours, 2004, Collateral, plays Vincent, 2 hours exactly, Crime drama thriller rated R. A cab driver finds himself the hostage of an engaging contract killer as he makes his rounds from hit to hit during one night in Los Angeles. Like, what's he mean, like, an engaging contract killer? So, like, charismatic? Jamie Foxx is in it. Jada Pinkett Smith. or um, Yeah, Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh, so we talked about this episode in the... Will and Jada Pinkett episode of The Stars Born. It's also a charismatic contract killer. <laughs> so it's like a John Wick, but with more personality. John Wick, but with more of, more of an alive dog. Oh my gosh. The new John Wick is coming out. John Wick 3 is coming out. I wonder if he'll still... He got a new puppy in John Wick 2. Uh, John, the first one's the one I haven't seen. I saw the second one in theaters. But I remember I watched like the beginning of the first one. It was on a TiVo at home, back in Bothell, back home. I never finished it. And then I'll have to, maybe I'll finish it. We'll see, we'll see. John Wick 3 though. John Wick 3's coming out? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Those movies are so great. What could... What's a better revenge story than getting revenge for for someone for your dog? Revenge for a puppy. It's no nothing will make a person more vicious. It's great. It's great. Uh, two thousand five. Also, I like how I like how like noir film noir style. Uh, John John Wick is. It's very um. What is that? Neo-noir? Is that what they call it? Film noir? Something like that. But very, like, stylistic. John Wick is an example. It's, like, the same. It's just as stylistic as Vanilla Sky, but it actually has, like, a great story. And, uh, so there you go. There's the difference between a movie that's stylized, it's a good movie, and then I'm just trashing Vanilla Sky. I don't know why. Uh, 2005, 
Ray Farrier in War of the Worlds. I definitely remember when this one came out. 160 minutes, so not quite two hours. PG-13, adventure, sci-fi, thriller. As Earth is invaded by alien tripod fighting machines, one family fights for survival. Alien tripod fighting machines? (laughs) It's like so specific. There's like camera tripods? That's just why picture or maybe some those giant things in star wars i don't know the name of the things with the tall legs in star wars that walk through the desert but that's what i pictured those kind of look like walking tripods uh 2006 oh my gosh there's so much time in between these mission impossible movies six years in between the second and third one 2006, Mission Impossible 3, Ethan Hunt. Uh, 07, Lions for Lambs, plays Senator Jasper Irving. What was this one? 92-minute drama thriller war war movie, Red R. 2007, injuries sustained by two army rangers behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. Set off a sequence of events involving a congressman, a journalist, and a professor. Robert Redford, Meryl Streep, Michael Pena, Andrew Garfield, Peter Berg. The list goes on and on. Derek Luke. Goes on and on. That's a good name for a movie. Lions for Lambs. I like it. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking, trying to connect it to the... The dentist who shot a lion. Maybe if that dentist shot a lamb and said, nobody would have cared. I bet not as many people would have cared. The Minnesota dentist shot a lamb. <laughs> it's, a, it's an old reference, but I don't know why I'm still thinking about it. 2008. It's because that's how scarred I am. That's how much I love lions. I'm, I'm still thinking about that Minnesota dentist. I just, yeah, well, I was thinking about that. I don't know why I'm... I was going to say, I don't know why I'm racing through this episode. feels like I'm trying to rush through it or something. Yeah, relax here. Stretch out my back. You can join me wherever you, wherever you are. Whether a monorail, uh, a ride at Disneyland, an airplane, car, walking on, walking on the sidewalk, laying in bed, wherever you're doing. Um, what was I saying? Lions for Lambs, Minnesota Dentist. Yes, yes. I think one of the reasons why everyone, everyone got so mad at that Minnesota dentist for shooting that lion is because it's kind of like a way of getting revenge at their parents for making them go to the dentist. It's just an example of (laughs) just how much America and the world hates going to the dentist. And we're just getting revenge on them. I think that's what... It was like an outlet for hate, an outlet for revenge, for all those, all those unwanted trips to the dentist, all those painful root canals and operations and wisdom teeth getting taken out. And people hate the dentist. That's why. <laughs> there we go. I just wanted to shout that out, mention that. Um. Because, like, if he's, like, an orthodontist, not as many people, not as many people go to the orthodontist. So, 
I think if an orthodontist from Minnesota shot a lion, then he wouldn't get as much hate as the dentist from Minnesota. Because people don't, they don't carry that, that fanny pack of hate, of dentistry hate around with them. Um, I just think, I just think that, that's my two cents there. 2008, Tropic Thunder plays Les Grossman, Grossman's Office. This was a great, we talked about Tropic Thunder in the Ben Stiller episode. I love that movie. It's hilarious. 2008, he is in Valkyrie, plays Colonel Klaus von Stufenberg. I remember when this one came out, too. Two hours and one minute, PG-13, drama history thriller. Dramatization of the July 20th, 1944 assassination and political coup plot by desperate renegade German army officers against Adolf Hitler during World War II. Very good. Sounds, um, sounds exciting. Reminds me of, uh, Inglorious Bastards. I don't know why. 2010, Night and Day, Roy Miller. Oh, this was the one with, uh, Cameron Diaz. Is, Night is spelled K-N-I-G-H-G. Like Bobby Knight. Um, 109 Minutes, PG-13, Action Adventure Comedy. A young woman gets mixed up with a disgraced spy who is trying to clear his name. I just want to see. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. I don't know. I just thought it was funny how they said a young woman. And then I just had to check how old Cameron Diaz was when this came out. 38. Okay. I'm just like, all right. It's probably... Not really a young woman, but okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I'm not, I'm not bash. I'm not, I'm not saying Cameron Diaz isn't a good-looking woman, but I just think the person who wrote this plot synopsis is kind of mistaken when they say a young woman gets mixed up. That's like just okay, <laughs> thirty. You mean like a thirty-eight-year-old? I don't know. That's young. That's like relatively young, but whatever. <laughs> I feel I don't know why I need to be so like it's not mean. I'm just I feel like I'm just pointing out a fact right now. Um I'm being all defensive. Defensive on the podcast. It's a it's a defensive podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the defensive podcast. I'm your host, Lorraine Newsom. <laughs> uh, okay. There's some big people in this movie though. Peter Sarsgaard's in it. Viola Davis, Paul Dano, uh, Gal Gadot. It's not pronounced Gal Gadot. It's pronounced Gal Gadot. Wonder Woman is in it as well. Um, yeah, sorry, Cameron Diaz, I just, <laughs> for for revealing the truth there. I mean, I just I'm like very specific. Sometimes I get very like perfectionist. Kind of like OCD-ish about those like little details. Like, because that's just like a, it's like a plot description, but it's just, it's not really true. (laughs) It's it's kind of, it's distracting in how like, I think it distracts from like the plot. It's like an unnecessarily, it's one of those unnecessary lies. 
an unnecessary white lie. Like, why would you even need to do that? Just, just stick to the plot, you know? <laughs> like, let go. Let it go, Chris. Let it go. Uh, 2011, the next Mission Impossible. Jeez, there's so many years in between these Mission Impossible movies. So between the first and the second, there's four years. Between the second and third, it was six years. And between the third and fourth, it's five years. Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Uh, 2012, Rock of Ages plays Stacy Jacks. I remember when this one came out. This was kind of like the uh, spin-off of that Mark Wahlberg Rockstar movie. I don't know why. It kind of, it's like a life. <laughs> this movie reminded me of like a just a real life version of that rock band, the uh, like Guitar Hero. This is like if Guitar Hero came to life. This is what a movie would look like about that. <laughs> uh, PG-13, 123 minutes, comedy, drama, musical. A small town girl and a city boy. What's this, like a Journey song? Just a small town girl. Uh, city boy meet on Sunset trip Strip while pursuing their Hollywood dreams. And Julianne Huff is in it. Russell Brand is in it. I just listened to Russell Brand on an old Joe Rogan episode yesterday. He's really he's really good on that on that Joe Rogan episode. Um eh, Russell Brand, isn't it? <laughs> Governor. Eh. <laughs> I don't know how you he's, he talks like this. He talks like this. He's I'm going surfing. I'm going to get some tea. It's it's Russell. It's Russell Brand here. I'm on Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> it's terrible. Terrible. Um, oh my gosh. I just remembered part of my dream from last night. Live on the air during the broadcast. Now I just have to check to make sure that this person is going to be okay. Yes, he's okay. Seriously, in my dream last night, I I swear I I'm this is crazy I'm remembering this like live on the air. Um <laughs> I think it was my dad. My dad told me in my dream that the Charles Barkley died. <laughs> the Charles Barkley died, and I was like so sad. I was so sad that because he's like my favorite uh, NBA analyst, my favorite person to talk about basketball. He's hilarious, so awesome. But in my dream, like my dad just told, I don't know why that's such a weird dream. It must be because. Charles Barkley's like, his name's in the news a lot this time of year. March Madness, his Capital One commercials, uh, TNT, still doing uh, Inside the NBA. Still though, that was a scary dream. That was a nightmare. That was a straight up nightmare for me last night. I just remember that too. Because it was like such a weird thing. I was like, Charles Barkley died? Like he's so young. He's... He's younger than my parents. He's um Charles Barkley. He's fifty six. Leeds, Alabama. Yeah, Charles Barkley, isn't it? He's a basketball player, ain't he? <laughs> uh, Russell Bronze. Okay, here we go. Terrible, terrible accents. Twenty twelve. Jack Reacher. This he plays Reacher. Wait, 
He doesn't play Jack Reacher. He just, his name is Reacher? What? I heard that, that I think Brad Williams is a person, he's a low person, a low person comedian. Um, he said that's what they call like, tall people, reachers. thought that was so funny. I think that's, I also think it's funny how Tom Cruise's name isn't Jack. Why isn't his name Jack in this movie? It's just Reacher? Okay. Rosamund Pike is in it. From Gone Girl. She was good in Gone Girl. As the girl who went gone. Uh, this is, Oh my gosh. Two hours and ten minutes. Another long movie. Action, crime, thriller, PG-13. A homicide investigator digs deeper into a case involving a trained military sniper who shot five random victims. Jack Reacher. Is it a book? I think this is based on a book. Yep. A Lee Child book. Um, 2013. Oblivion. Plays Jack. Oh, what? So he plays Jack in this movie, but he doesn't play... <laughs> His name is only Jack in this movie. Maybe it's like a IMDb typo or something. Why would his name not be Jack Reacher in, in the movie Jack Reacher? <laughs> Uh, Oblivion. This one, this one showed up on FX a lot. Same with Jack Reacher. Still, still trying to figure out that FX slogan. FX, was it Fearless? Is it, is it Fearless? I do not know. Morgan Freeman's in this one as well. Joseph Kaczynski directed it. Um, 124 minutes, PG-13. Action, adventure, sci-fi. A veteran assigned to extract Earth's remaining resources begins to question what he knows about his mission and himself. Yeah, I heard this movie was super crazy. Um, I think I get mixed up with a couple other movies, though. Like, um, I can't remember the name of that other movie, but... was it's, There's another one that's very similar to it. Oh, Prometheus. There we go. I can't believe I... That was a great poll right there. Um, To re reward myself for that great memory, I'm going to read a little bit of Night Hoops, the book by Carl Duker. I've read a lot of this book. If you've listened to any of the past episodes of Stars Born, I'm sure you've heard me read this, but Carl Duker was a teacher at my elementary school, Mr. Duker. My brother had him in sixth grade. I did not have him, but I emailed him, told him I was an author, asked for his approval, <laughs> his author approval, um, and he granted it to me. So here we go. This is chapter 10 of Night Hoops, but this is chapter 10 of part four. Uh, here we go. At the next practice, O'Leary moved Trent and me to the first team in the up-tempo style that Sudas was back to. There's nothing I like more than creating creating in the open court, and Trent had become a dream finisher. I fed him the ball again and again. Everything was working for him, the drives, the jumper, even the three-pointer. At the end of practice, O'Leary had me wait on the court until all the guys were in the locker room. That was solid, Nick, real solid, he said. I like the way you and Trent play. You have a feel for each other, and that's something you can't coach. 
We've been practicing together, I explained. I know where and when he likes to ball. Yeah, well, that's good. That's real good. Only don't forget about Luke and Darren. Those guys can score too, and they get itchy when they're not getting their shots. Trent was hot today, I said, defending myself. So I got him the ball. I'll get them the ball when they're hot. He nodded. Fair enough. Find the hot hand and feed it. You do that, and you'll be starting at point guard for the next three years. Guaranteed. Now go shower up. I started off the court, my spirits soaring, when he called me out, uh, called out to me again. Hey, Nick, have they caught Trent's crazy brother? No, I answered. They haven't. He frowned. Well, I hope they do. And soon. The victory against Roosevelt was just the beginning. Against Woodenville, Trent had 10 rebounds and 22 points, while I added 8 points and dished out 8 assists. The Juanita Rebels were next. Again, Trent had a double-double, 24 points and 11 rebounds. I hand out 9 assists, 7 of them to him. After that, we avenged our earlier loss to the East Lake Wolves, then beat the two dogs of our league, Redmond and Lake Washington. Our overall record was a mediocre 8-6, and six, but in the league, we were 8-3 and three, and still had two games left against first-place Garfield. You put together a winning streak like that, and the locker room should be a wild place. Guys singing, t- towels snapping, water splashing everywhere. But the energy in our locker room wasn't that much greater than when we'd be, been losing. Sure, guys congratulated each other, said good game and all that, but they dressed quickly and left in low groups of two and three. On the day of our first game against Garfield, I was sitting alone eating a grilled cheese sandwich and soup in the cafeteria. Luke spotted me and came over. You mind if I sit here? No problem, I said. Glad for the company. Um, we talked about the food, the game coming up, school. I wanted to relax, have it be the way. It was early in the year, but there was a tightness to his jaw that made me uncomfortable. He had something to say, something I wasn't going to like. He finished off his milkshake and put the cup down on the table. We can't keep winning this way, you know. What do you mean, I asked, even though I knew. He tipped the empty cup back and forth. Come on, Nick. The other coaches aren't stupid. They read the papers, check the box scores, scout the games. It's Trent and you. The rest of us just run up and down the court. That works against lousy teams, but a great team like Garfield will shut one or both of you down, and that'll be that. It hasn't happened yet, I said. It will. We're not a real team, Nick. His his words hung there for a moment, like a ball hanging on the rim. I swallowed. Okay. If you get open, I'll get you the ball. Same thing with Darren, with everybody. Luke stuck his hand out across the table. I reached out and shook it. Then he left. I finished my lunch alone. The tomato soup was watery, the milk was warm, and the grilled cheese looked looked and tasted like yellow rubber. It was the best tasting lunch I'd had in weeks. There we go. I guess, uh, I like that description there. Yellow rubber. Real, um... Really makes you imagine what what it'd be like to eat a disgusting grilled cheese like that. Ugh. <laughs> grilled cheese very good though. One of my favorite snacks. I like to do grilled cheese with gouda, just like I was talking about earlier. I do a a, a nasty, nasty, delicious gouda grilled cheese. Ooh, gorgonzola. Ooh, gorgonzola and gouda. Oh my gosh! Don't even don't even go there. Don't even go there. That's just crazy. <laughs> That's crazy talk. Um, 
24th. Let's get back to T Cruise here. Little, actually, before we go back to T Cruise, I just wanted to read a little bit of um, this segment here. ESPN. Don't think we've read this yet. Here we go. This is ESPN the magazine. This is the fiction issue. I've mentioned it before in past episodes. March 7th, 2011. Over eight years old. Um, and I do not think I've read this yet. So this is actually relates to... Ooh, let's read the Snapback one too. Because Snapback relates to Rob Gronkowski. who just retired. But first we'll do the Iditarod. Iditarod Idol. This is just a tiny little segment here from ESPN the magazine. Um, in this, I mentioned the Iditarod uh, just a few episodes ago. We talked about the dogs who quit on their owner. Um, that was a fun little story on ESPN. Um, but here's ESPN the magazine. So, this is by Patrick Kane. Having finished 7th in the 1,000-mile Yukon Quest on February 17th, Jody Bailey is halfway to her goal of becoming the first rookie to finish that and the March 5th Iditarod in the same season. A who's who of mushing ways uh, weighs in on the import, import of her pursuit. Um, oh, so here's a yeah, who's who of mushing. That's just a funny, a funny saying right there. So this is Stephanie Nabel, an assistant, from, assistant director from Yukon Quest. Before Lance Mackey ran both a few we, a few years ago, this had never been heard of. And Jody was a true rookie at the Yukon. A racer can have started and withdrawn in years past and still be considered a rookie. This was her first attempt. Um, Greg Sellington, publisher from Mushing Magazine. God, that's a great name for a magazine. I wish I could write for Mushing Magazine. Um, I just... That could also be the name of like... Um, a mashed potatoes or like yams cooking just because I just picture food like you mush food especially like those kind of potatoes just mush them together it's not all about dog racing <laughs> not everything is about dog racing oh, mushing magazine I love it sounds like it's like Martha Stewart's magazine or something Rachel Ray she could make a mushing magazine uh, any year this is what Greg Sellington says. Any year, what she's trying to do would be impressive. But this year, it's super cold. The negative 20 degrees to negative 40 degrees range is your danger zone without wind. This year, we've had negative 40 degrees with wind. That's damn cold. That is damn cold. Dang, that's cold. <laughs> I'm not, that's not even a joke. That's just people be dying out there in negative 40 degrees with wind chill. That's insane. Stay warm out there. Hopefully you're warm wherever you listen. Not too warm, though. Um, Joanne Potts, Iditarod race director, says, Jody ran the Yukon? I thought it was her husband. She's a good musher, but I can't believe that. <laughs> That's so funny. I like how her quote is just her like disputing the facts. Like, no, jo Joanne, we're telling you. We wouldn't just lie to you about this, Joanne. That's so funny. I love, <laughs> I love Joanne Potts. I want to meet her. I want to, I want to have a cup of hot cocoa. Talk about mushing with her. Um, 
let's talk about a snapback fever. This is another tiny little segment here from ESPN Magazine. James Lillifors, author of 2009's Ball Cap Nation, tells how hats with adjustable plastic snaps have come to be the toast of the lid, literati. <laughs> literati. Um, wow, this, and this is from 2011. Snapbacks are still popular. Um, so 1960s. The baseball cap, which until then was mainly worn by ball players, morphs into an everyman's cap. The one-size-fits-all gimme caps are used by stores as a promo giveaway. Actually, I heard, I heard that people started wearing baseball caps when um, was it Tom Selleck in Magnum PI? See the star of Magnum PI? Um, he wore the was it Detroit Tigers baseball cap in that show. And when every, yeah, when everyone, I, th- I can't remember where I heard this. I think this may have been Jalen, Jalen and Jacoby that I heard this on. But when Tom Selleck, I just got to double check now. I can't be like spewing this crazy. At least I'll double check to make sure that Tom Selleck's on Magnum P.I. I think he is though. And I think that's where the, um, yeah, Tom Selleck. Um, yeah, and he's wearing the Detroit Tigers ball cap there. Yeah, that's where the uh, baseball cap became popular. I think Jalen Jacob baseball cap. I think uh, Jalen Rose said that. But I guess take Jalen Rose's word for it. <laughs> um, so here we go. 1970s. The snapback promos are so popular. Busy's bag, the... F- Busy's bag the freebies and start selling them. Don't know what that means. Uh, Bizzes, oh, bizzes, like businesses bag the freebies and start selling them. K Products, among the largest producers, moved 300,000 snapbacks a week, a week in 1978. Wait, 300,000 snapbacks each week? So times 50, that's like 15 million. What the heck? That doesn't even those numbers don't add up. Sir. New York best time New York best uh times best selling hats right there. I'm so excited I couldn't even spit that out. Those hats went platinum. New York Times best selling snapbacks. Tom Selleck. Uh nineteen eighties. Sturdier and pricier adjustable hats emerge. At the same time, fitted caps sanctioned by the MLB hit the market, and the lure of snapbacks begins to fade. 1990s. Snapbacks enter the high-end market. By 2000, wearers such as Ashton Kutcher, um, or if you weren't punked, um, Christina Aguilera, I'm sure, he, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he's wore snapbacks and punked. That'd be funny if he, if he uh, punked someone by... How would he punk someone by like making a hat that says like says they're like they're a clown and then, and then they trick them into wearing it. There you go. It'd be like a kick me sign, but as a hat. I like that idea. That was good. I came up with that on the fly. I'm pretty happy with how that turned out. <laughs> um, let's see. By 2000 or maybe, oh, he could send like. 10,000 snapback hats to someone's house, like some celebrity's house. 
Like if they're trying to produce like their own clothing line, he just sends like he just buries them the snapback hats, sends like a million hats to their house. And they don't know what to do with all the inventory. <laughs> they're just drowned by inventory. Uh, I like it. Um, Ashton Kutcher, Christina Aguilera, and Justin Timberlake, JT, give the so-called trucker cap a new cachet. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they were talking about trucker caps, of course. That makes sense. Of course, that's what Ashton Kutcher is known for rocking the trucker cap. That's what that's his jam. He doesn't do the snapback. Um, 20, 2009 to 2011. New era seeing secondhand snapbacks gain play on streetwear blogs hastens the trend with 950 retro styled lids which appeal to a new generation of stylish hat wearers and there you are there's your little brief history of snapback hats a little I did or I talk there um let's get back to the T Cruz action here edge of tomorrow 2014 plays Cage. Why didn't they get Nicolas Cage to play Cage? Hmm. Doug Lyman directed this? What? Is that Doug Lyman from Entourage? Is this the Entourage guy? I think it is. I'm pretty sure. I gotta double check this. I'm pretty sure Doug Lyman is like the creator of Entourage, if I'm not mistaken. And Entourage is one of my favorite shows. So let's just... Double checky, double check it. Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Who am I thinking of? I'm not. No, it's not on. Now I have to see who created, because Doug Lyman has nothing to do with Entourage. Um, I think there is a Doug. I think there is a Doug that's involved. Yeah, Doug Ellen. Yep. There we go. I'm not crazy. Doug Ellen is the Entourage guy. Okay. So Doug Lyman, what's he done? He's done Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, he did um he did Swingers. I love Swingers. My gosh. The Vince Vaughn, John Favreau one. The one where they write the movies in the in the diner. Oh I love that movie. They go to Vegas. It's kinda like the hangover before the hangover. But that movie's so inspirational for me. That's like one of the reasons why Inspired me to move to Los Angeles, become a writer. This is what what I want to do. Just I want to spend seven hours in the diner overnight, just writing on a, working on a screenplay, and just trying to meet a deadline, trying to sell a movie, trying to make it. I love it. I love that. Um, a soldier. A soldier fighting aliens gets to relive the same day over and over again. The same the day restarting every time he dies. So he respawns. It's like a halo. It's a halo party. It's like a video game movie. Um, oh, and they, they renamed this movie. What did they rename it? Uh, what did they rename it? Edge of Tomorrow. I, how can I not remember that now? Uh, we were just talking about diners. I like, I like diners in movies. I think that's a very, that's like one of my favorite, we'll have to come up with my favorite movie settings, because diners will definitely be up there. 
because Boardwalk, I mean, we said Boardwalk's a movie genre, but that's also one of my favorite movie settings. Diners, Boardwalks, where else? I like a good, like, like a football stadium or baseball stadium. A good, like, sporting event setting. Um, oh, the beach is always a good setting for movies. Lots of options. But this is the other name. This is it. Edge of Tomorrow, also known as Live, Die, Repeat. There we go. They renamed it. Which name do you like better? Maybe we'll have to throw up a Twitter poll for that one. Hmm. I like Live, Die, Repeat. Definitely definitely more catchy. It also explains the movie. It explains the plot of the movie just very succinctly. Edge of Tomorrow just sounds like super corny. Like, Edge of Tomorrow. That sounds like a band. It's like 30 seconds. They would open for 30 seconds to Mars. Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> kind of like a goth, like a goth alternative rock band. Um, Let's see. 2015, the next Mission Impossible. Only four years since the previous one. I saw this one in theaters. Rogue Nation. This was when he he held on to that airplane. And like did he do that in real life? Did that's so insane to me. If Tom Cruise was actually holding on to the the wing of an airplane, like while it flew through the air in real life, he, he's just like he's like seriously on another level from other actors. Like think about Tom Cruise compared to like some like corny just like I don't know just any like pick any corny actor and compare them to Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise will just just flatten them with his like seriousness like how how serious he takes his job and like (laughs) everything probably like I don't know I'm just laughing like comparing like some schlocky actor to Tom Cruise like holding on to the wing of an airplane, just going full, completely balls to the wall, just insane. He's crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, it's like, what's he trying to prove? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm so confused about. What is Tom Cruise trying to prove? Like, and who is he trying to prove it to? He's obviously trying to prove something to himself. Because everyone in the world like knows he's like maybe the most one of the most famous people in the world but he he doesn't stop he has like a this undying like hunger inside him that this motor that doesn't doesn't stop no matter what like no matter how much money he makes he just he just piles it up no matter how many movies he how many awards he wins how many accolades he gets or respect from his peers or how many crazy stunts he does on on screen it just doesn't stop what is it he is a i wonder if it's like it has to be an internal thing it's obviously not any like external reward system it's the it's his internal reward system it's it must be messed up he must because he doesn't i don't know like you would think that he might like calm down at some point Stop doing his own stunts. Now that he's what? He's 50... He's like 57. About to be 57 years old. It's like... 
you might think he'd calm down, but he's still trying to prove something. I don't know what he's... Maybe he just wants to be remembered as, like, the evil Knievel of actors. Like, the craziest actor of all time or something. Or, like, a real-life version of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Tom Cruise, he wants to be a real-life Nicolas Cage. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I think that's kind of interesting. Um, we're not even getting into the whole Scientology thing. I haven't seen Going Clear. I have to watch Going Clear before. Because I don't know too much about it. And I've heard Going Clear is like insane documentary. Alright, let's just... I'm just going to look up Going Clear. See what... We'll see what it says. Um, what's her name from Leah Remini from King of Queens? She... She went clear. Wait, what does Going Clear even mean? Does that mean when you leave Scientology? Or does that mean when you join? Alright, um... The film deconstructs the church's claims by presenting a condensed history of Scientology and its founder, L. Ron Hubbard, examining how celebrities interact with the church and highlighting the stories of a number of ex-members and the abuse, exploitation they describe seeing and experiencing. Um, church of Scientology responded vehemently to the film, complaining to film critics about their reviews and denouncing the filmmakers and their interviewees. Is based closely on Lawrence Wright's book. Um, the film breaks into three distinct acts. In the first, the former Scientologists describe how they joined Scientology. The second uh, recounts the history of Scientology and its founder, L. Ron Hubbard. In the third, the film airs allegations of abuse of the church, of uh, church members, and misconduct by its leadership particularly David Miscavige, who is accused of intimidating, beating, imprisoning, and exploiting subordinates. The film depicts the role played by celebrity members such as Travolta and Tom Cruise uh, through video clips contrasting their statements with the experiences of former Scientologists. To support its thesis, the film utilizes footage of ex-Scientologists harassed and surveilled Per Hubbard's dictum that the church's critics were all criminals whose crimes needed to be exposed and described the imprisonment of senior Scientology executives in a fact facility known as The Hole. Ooh, what's The Hole? The unofficial nickname of a facility um, by Scientology on its gold base a compound near the town of Hemet in Riverside County. Wow, this is all like so mysterious to me. I need to see this documentary. This one and uh, Wild Wild Country are the two I need to watch. We'll have to see if Going Clear is on Netflix. If we can add to our Netflix cues. But also, um, David Miscavige. That just reminds me of Theo Vaughn. Because Theo Vaughn said he used to... He used to work out with David Miscavige. Um, comedian Theo Vaughn. Growing up in uh, Louisiana on the bayou. Um, let's see. Kind of just a random thought there. But what's, what's the hole, though? The hole consists of a set of double-wide trailers within the Scientology compound. They're joined together to form a suite of offices, which were formerly used by Church's international management team. According to the members of Scientology and media reports, 
from 2004. The church's leader, David Miscavige, sent dozens of senior Scientology executives to the hole. Uh, Tampa Bay Times described it, January 2013 article, as a place of confinement and humiliation where Scientology's management culture, always demanding, grew extreme. Inside, a who's who of Scientology leadership went at each other with brutal tongue lashings and even hands and fists. They intimidated each other into crawling on their knees and standing in trash cans and confessing the things they hadn't done. They lived in degrading conditions, eating and sleeping in cramped spaces designed for office use. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Life in the hole. Oh no. Uh, they slept in cots or sleeping bags, squeezed into every available floor space or desktops. Um, men would sleep around the conference table while women slept in cubicles and small offices around the main conference room. They were so crowded that there's barely any room to move. Um, everyone's sleeping with only six inches on either side, above you, below you. Getting up in the middle of the night, you disturb everyone. Oh my gosh. According to one of the executives, the food was <clears throat> the food was like leftovers. Uh, slop, bits of meat, soupy kind of leftovers thrown into a pot and cooked and barely edible. So, your classic gruel... It's like, that sounds like what porridge is, though. I mean, I never knew what porridge was, but from that, the Three Bears porridge skit, that, that classic Saturday Night Live skit, <laughs> you know, the SNL porridge skit. Um, the building was said to be infested with ants, and on several occasions, the electricity was turned off, causing the temperature to reach 106 degrees. Oh my gosh. Um, holy cow, this is intense, this is some intense stuff. They were only allowed to leave to attend church events or to be taken to a shower in a nearby maintenance garage to which they were taken two at a time under guard. Food was brought to them on golf carts from the gold base mess hall uh, as the executives were not, not allowed to eat with the rest of the staff and they were only given 10 to 15 minutes to eat. Um, it's pretty much like, uh, prison, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. Oh my God. This documentary. Scientology is scary. Uh, uh. This <laughs> uh, weird though. Like what if you're like a, what if you're just like a young actor, like, or like a 20 year old person just moving to Hollywood? Like you have no idea what Scientology is. You don't know any better. You just join this group. Like, some nice people talk to you. Like, they ask you if you want to go to some events. You don't know what it is. You you join. You get you end up getting, like, entangled in this? This mess? What? See, that's insane. I want to see... Oh, my God. Like, like I guarantee... I'm sure the people who joined... That's the thing with people... Like, these cults. Like, they don't know... You don't know it's a cult when you're joining... Like, you don't know it's Scientology probably didn't even know what Scientology was when they joined probably just thought they were going to some like yoga retreat or something but then boom boom oh my gosh Leah Remini was a member of the Church of Scientology since since she was nine years old what she must have been a she was a child actor then 
That's crazy. <laughs> what? Oh my gosh. How did, see, that's just like not even fair. Like she didn't she didn't have any personal choice. That's like it's like playing T ball or something. Like her her T ball was Scientology. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh you're, you're not making that's just that's like unfortunate though. I mean that the good thing is though, the fortunate part is that she got out. That's crazy. So impressive. It's a lot of like personal like a strong will that she has break the shackles because that's like man i need to see this documentary because that's like everything she's ever known she's in that group since she was nine years old doesn't even seem weird but then she probably slowly started to like figure out like i wonder when like how old she was when she figured out like that it was like a really bad thing that she, she's like i have to get out maybe not when did she get out let's see because maybe not for like a long time I don't know. We'll see. When did she get out? When did she, it was 20, 20, uh, six, no, 13, 2013 when she left Scientology. And then two years later, she released Troublemaker, Surviving Hollywood and Scientology, her memoir about her experience with Scientology and reasons for leaving it. In 2016, she followed up with her memoir with an Emmy award-winning documentary, TV series on A&E, uh, Lee Remini, Scientology in the Aftermath. Um, yes, she is. She has exposed them a lot since she left. She's, she's doing, God, I really, I like having those documentaries just waiting for me though. It's fun to have, have your Netflix queue all filled up, just waiting for like, maybe one day I'll just be real bored or something, just looking for something to do and just watch a few good documentaries. Um, 2017, back to Tom Cruise. We have 2015 was Rogue Nation, Mission Possible. 2016 is Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. And his character name in this movie is Jack Reacher. So there we go. It's not just Reacher. It's the full name, Jack Reacher. So I don't know why the first movie was just Reacher, but he must have earned a Jack somehow. He he earned his his name Jack um, somehow. It was awarded to him. Twenty seventeen. He's in the new Mummy. The Mummy plays Nick Morton. I remember watching the Brendan Fraser one back in like two thousand two or something. This one's a hundred ten minutes. PG thirteen. Action Adventure Fantasy 2017. Russell Crowe is in it too. An ancient Egyptian princess is awakened from her crypt beneath the desert, bringing with her malevolence grown over millennia. It's a tongue twist. That's like a newscaster tongue twister that you would say to warm up for the news. Malevolence grown over millennia. Malevolence grown over millennia. And tears that defy human comprehension. Malevolence grown over millennia. Um, did not see the new mummy. 2017. American Maid. Plays Barry Seal. Uh, I wonder if he's a Navy Seal. <laughs> that, that sounds like a Tom Cruise thing. Barry Seal, the Navy Seal. In American Maid. 
story of Barry Seal, an American pilot. Okay, so he's he's Top Gun. He's he's Top Gun in it. Top Gun in it up. Uh, became a drug runner for the CIA in the 1980s in a clandestine operation that would be exposed as the Iran Contra affair. 115 minutes action biography comedy. Red R. Sarah Wright is in it too. From um, she was in Twenty One and Over, which is a movie I really like. That was actually filmed near my hometown, near Bothell, Washington. Filmed at a University of Washington campus in Seattle. Twenty One and Over is a great movie. I think it's on Netflix. Go ahead and add it to your Netflix queue. This is an awesome party movie. Um, kind of like a the same vein as Project X, which is Project X is another, I love that movie. It's a great movie. If you can't tell, I like the, I enjoy the party movies. Um, like Superbad, one of my favorites. Project X, 21 Over, Can't Hardly Wait is a good 90s party movie. Um, I'm sure we'll think of some other ones. Let's see, 21 Over. It's 93 minute comedy, Raid R. The night before his big medical school interview, a promising student celebrates his 21st birthday with his two best friends. And then hilarity ensues. It's a great movie. It's like great, like, one of those, like, domino movies where you tip the first domino and then everything else that happens, every event that happens in the rest of the movie is just kind of like a butterfly effect result of that first domino. That first domino being tilted. Um, twenty eighteen. And then I, I just picture like the dominoes being being pushed and then they're all falling down and then it just reveals like a crazy picture of just just like a a beer bong. <laughs> something party related. Something crazy party related. Uh, twenty eighteen. Mission impossible fallout. The new Mission Impossible. It's only been three years since the previous one. Plays Ethan Hunt. Um, I th- I think I saw this one as well. Came out. Let's see. Ethan Hunt and his IMF team, along with some familiar allies, race against time after a mission gone wrong. 147 minutes action adventure thriller, PG 13. Henry Cavill was in it. Yeah, I saw this one. I think I may have... I may have gone to this one with my with my dad. I can't... I think I did, actually. Came out... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Came out July 27th, 2018. Okay. I'm pretty sure I went to this one with my dad. Um, Because I had that crazy... The crazy villain. I could be... Sean Harris is the crazy villain. Um, he's good as the villain. Yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm getting all my Mission Impossible movies mixed up, though. I'm getting the one from Rogue Nation mixed up with Fallout. I saw Fallout. Uh, Luna Park. Yeah, who is... I think... Um, yeah, Rebecca Ferguson was the girl from Fallout. Simon Pegg was in it, too. Uh from um Shaun the Dead and then uh Ving Rames as well. Okay. Yep, yep. Uh Luna Park. 
Let's see what Luna Park is. It's an action-adventure sci-fi movie coming out in the future here. Doug Lyman, once again, not from Entourage. Not, not to be confused with Doug Ellen. Um, a group of renegade space workers venture to the moon to steal an energy source. What a crazy movie. <laughs> what a crazy Tom Cruise sounding movie. I feel like Nicolas Cage might be in it too. Um, live, die, repeat, and repeat. I like that. I like that name for that sequel. That's a great name for the sequel. Uh, another Doug Lyman directed movie. Emily Blunt in it again. When's this one coming? Doesn't say when it's coming out in the future sometime. Uh, unknown plot. Look, look forward to that one. I like the name though. Live, die, repeat, and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Oh, the new Top Gun. Top Gun Maverick. When's this one? This one comes out 20, oh, June 26th, 2020. Not for over a year, but at least we, we got a date for it, though. John Hamm's going to be in it. Hammy. Um, very good. The plot plot's unknown, but we know this can be awesome, though. Oh my gosh. I can't wait till the new Top Gun comes out. That's so awesome. That's great. That's great. Sometimes it's really good when they make a sequel. Like sometimes you make a sequel too soon after the first movie comes out. But then if you wait like 34 years. <laughs> if, you wait, if you wait like half a lifetime. Then it's the perfect time for a sequel. I like the long, like the long con on the sequel. I love it. I love the idea of making making a sequel to an 80s movie. Like, we gotta make a Ferris Bueller too. We gotta do all those sequels. Come on now. Love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, y'all. 2021, Mission Impossible 7. And then 2022, Mission Impossible 8. So he already has, he already knows for sure that he's gonna do two more Mission Impossibles. That's hilarious. That's such a Tom Cruise thing. He's like, I'm just, just book me for the next two. We'll just get him in, get him in line, get him on the queue, get him on the, on the docket, in the Rolodex, and let's do this, baby. Um, see, that's what I'm talking about with his relentless, like undying motivation. It's like one of the most motivated people, just insanely hardworking. I like the idea of him just doing his own stunt cell. I'm kind of obsessed with that. I think that's why that's why he decided to tell everyone he does that. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't do it, but that's why he decided to do it because he knew that it would impress people and people would remember it and tell their friends be like, "You guys know Tom Cruise? Does his own stunts. It's easy to remember, easy to repeat. Uh, live die repeat. <laughs> live uh do stunts repeat. Um, yeah, that's it. Let's do it, baby. I can't believe we did it. Oh my gosh. Let's do a top three. Let's do a bomb three. Wrap this baby up. This episode flew by. This went way too fast. Um, top three. I think, oh, but let's just do bomb three first. Just because Vanilla Sky. I just saw Vanilla Sky. And that one's definitely going to be bomb three. Um, other bomb three movies. Let's, 
let's put the new mummy in the bomb three even though i didn't see it i just feel like it won't live up to the brandon fraser one uh brandon fraser brandon fraser so vanilla sky the new mummy and then let's do night and day just because i heard i didn't see that one but I haven't seen a lot of these Tom Cruise movies. But the ones I have seen, I like them. Uh, I like... So top three, let's go Top Gun. For sure, of course. Top Gun. Let's go A Few Good Men. And then... I guess we'll... Yeah, Tropic... Uh, I don't really consider Tropic Thunder a Tom Cruise movie, per se. haven't seen... I have not seen Live, Die, Repeat slash Edge of Tomorrow... I heard that one's really good though. It looks good. Haven't seen Jack Reacher other than bits and pieces on FX. Um let's just I guess let's let's go Tropic Thunder. Just cause he 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 like owns the movie. He he really he really brings a house down in that movie, so <laughs> really raises the roof in it. So um Yeah, for top three we'll go Tropic Thunder. We'll go um, Few Good Men and Top Gun. The original Top Gun. There we go. Oh my gosh. We were looking forward to this episode. This was, we knew it was going to be a big one. Um, I think it delivered. Pretty happy with it. That was awesome. That was so much fun. Uh, thank you for checking out my books on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble. Uh, What's in the Fridge and Sponge Cake, a mostly made up story about completely insane town. My blog, thegoat1.blogspot.com. My website, christtheauthor.com. Follow me at Twitter, christtheauthor8, and Instagram, chrisarneson8. And thank you so much for share, share, sharing the podcast with everyone. Um, telling people about it. Uh, spreading the good word. Just, you never know who likes movies, who likes podcasts. I think more people listen to uh, podcasts than we realize. And who doesn't like movies, right? Who doesn't like Tom Cruise? I think if you share this with people and you're like Tom Cruise, check out this Tom Cruise episode. They might be, their socks would probably be blown off and across the street at that point. <laughs> they'd have to walk across the street to pick up their socks. That's how far they'd be blown off because that's how much people love Tom Cruise. So, and um, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Sharing, sharing, rating, reviewing, iTunes, um, all that good stuff. Awesome. Uh, without further ado, closing time. Time for you to go home to the places where you belong. I know who I want to take me home. I know who I want to take me home. I know who I want to take me home. Take me home. Closing time. Time for you to go home. To the places where you belong. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining me for yet another exciting episode of A Star is Born. I've been your host, as always, uh, Chris Arneson. Um, I'm so happy to talk to y'all. So happy you're listening, enjoying the podcast. And um, yeah, stay with it. Um, Keep your head up. Positive, positive energy. Positivity, you got it. Brody Stevens, 818-299, yes, oh my gosh, that totally reminds, <laughs> I almost made it through the whole episode, that's so funny, right when I say Brody Stevens, oh my goodness, it's the first ever post-closing time AMC triple feature, we almost went through the whole episode without doing the AMC triple feature, then I say Brody Stevens, and I remember it, that's so hilarious, we might as well just do it right now, why not, right? Ah, oh, if you listen to the first 28 episodes, you know what I'm talking about. That's <laughs> so funny. We weren't going to do it. You thought I was going to forget. Um, 2009. I obviously forgot to write down on my trusty yellow legal pad here. Or a buck slip, whatever you call it. All right. AMC triple feature. Let's do it and then get out of here. And call it a night. Wrap it like a burrito. AMC triple feature. It was June 2009. I was with my best bud growing up, Steve Nungrecht. We had just gone out of, let's see, 2009. So it must have been sophomore year. School had just ended. And we decided to hit the movie theater for an exciting day on the town in Woodenville. Downtown Woodenville. Across the street from used to be Top Foods. Now it's Hagen's. Uh, there's a pet store there. There's a... a, a f- Famous footwear, Barnes and Noble, all in that little area. Chipotle, Starbucks, Jamba Juice, uh, Qdoba, and a movie theater. AMC movie theater. I would go on to work there seven years later. uh, From February 2016 to August 2016. And the good old AMC movie theater. We went to year one was the movie. We bought a ticket for it. It was starring Jack Black and Michael Sarah. We talked about it in the Paul Rudd episode, episode four. Um, not not a very good movie. Um, pretty pretty terrible. Kind of kind of like an extended Geico commercial, you could call it. Extended Geico commercial. I couldn't believe it when they came out with that show, Cavemen, on uh, ABC. That show was on the same time as uh, Carpoolers. Like, for some reason, I, I watched Carpoolers. I don't know why, but <laughs> it starred uh, Jerry O'Connell from way back. In, Jerry O'Connell was in, he was a kid in um, Stand By Me, the classic Stand By Me. But Jerry O'Connell's been some other stuff. I think he was in, <laughs> I was going to say Jerry, uh, Jerry Maguire. I can't remember if he was or not. Didn't see it. Um, yeah, Jerry, Jerry O'Connell, <laughs> now I just completely lose track of everything I'm saying, um, yes, 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 year one, very good, yes, Carpoolers, Jerry O'Connell, I can't remember who else was in Carpoolers, uh, and I can't remember who was in the Cavemen series either, but I guess it was just the actors who played the Cavemen in the, uh, Geico commercials, <laughs> I just thought that was so funny that they made that into a TV series. And I think it, I don't think it even lasted like a half season. 
think it was maybe like eight episodes or something, but because uh, it's like romantic, like it was just cavemen dating. It was basically <laughs> it was like a caveman blind dating. Oh my gosh, that's such a funny. I wonder if they did that for one of the episodes that the cavemen went to a blind dating. That that would have been so funny, and then all the women. Like the expressions on their faces when, when they see that their blind day is a caveman. Oh, I wonder if they did that. Man, I should have been a writer on that show. <laughs> I think that's that's a award-winning episode of Cavemen right there. The blind dates episode. I like it. Um, so after year one, we went over to the other side of the theater. Uh, we we snuck through the tunnel. We held our breath and ran through the tunnel. Um, managed to come out on the other side and make it to the hangover over in theater nine on the opposite side of the movie theater. Because, you know, I work there, so I know where all the theaters are, Every all the details. I remember one of the theaters, the other coworkers were telling me that it was haunted, so that was pretty frightening. I was always pretty spooked when I sat in there I used to just sit in these movie theaters when I would like work as an usher because we would have like a lot of time so like when you were an usher you would just have a list of when all the movies their end times so then you could like hold the door for people as they leave and then clean the movie theater right after but if if your list lined up in the right way then you would have like these nice like 20 minute breaks in between movies ending, and I would just like sit in empty theaters and just listen to podcasts. And that's back when I was reading a bunch of uh, The Ringer, Bill Simmons's website. So I'd read like a ton of The Ringer articles, and that's like right before I became a writer. So <laughs> I think that was like a big like inspiration for me because I read so many. I just read a ton, like everything that was on TheRinger.com, I read for like that six months that I was at AMC. I was just getting like, because I think to be a writer, you got to read a little bit. I mean, not all writers are big readers, but I think most of them have like some inspiration that they've gotten from reading. Um, And then I would just listen to, that's when I was listening to Pete Holmes's uh, podcast. I, I was just binge binge listening it just every single day, listening to the old episodes of "You Made It Weird" with Pete Holmes. Oh, I love that; it's one of my favorite podcasts. But um, yeah, that was AMC Woodenville. So The Hangover was obviously one of the funniest movies of all time. We talked about it, episode three, Brody Stevens. You got it, Brody Stevens. Positivity, positive energy. Yes. Um. Yeah, Hangover's awesome. After that, hop hop and skipped on over to the other side of the aisle and saw Land of the Lost. Talked about it, episode one, Will Ferrell. Absolutely god-awful, terrible. Speaking of Charles Barkley, terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. Didn't even like it as much as year one. Just didn't make any sense. Excuse me. Based on the 1970s TV show by Sid and Marty Croft. Maybe you had to watch the TV show to understand it. Personally, I think for a good movie, you don't normally have to watch it. 
like a TV show to understand the movie. It might just translate by itself, kind of be just evergreen. But that's just, I don't know. Maybe it's just my personal taste. I'm sure lots of people like Land Lost. Like, I'm sure there's huge Will Ferrell fans, just Will Ferrell, like, completionists, just lifers, just live and die with college humor. Or not college humor, funny or die. That's his. They live and die with funny or die. <laughs> um, that's good. That's good stuff there. That's Will Ferrell's uh, website. It's a funny website. But what am I saying? I'm saying I'm sure some people are huge Will Ferrell fans and actually somehow enjoyed Land of the Lost. Maybe they liked a TV show or something, but that's okay. Not every movie's for everyone, so you don't have to like everything you watch, so... I think everyone's entitled to their own opinion. And wow, we did it, guys. That was your AMC Triple Feature. I can't remember what time of day. Maybe, hmm, what time of day do you think the first, the year one was? Probably like, I bet year one was like a two o'clock movie. And then The Hangover was probably like four. And then Land of Lost must have been like six, like around there. Um, hmm. Don't know, just guessing, but <laughs> we did it. We did it, guys. Good job, team. Good uh, teamwork there. Um, sorry, did the plugs. Already sung closing time. I might as well just closing time. Boom. Time for you to go home to the places where you belong. Closing time. We out. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you, thank you for supporting A Star is Born. Um, awesome. Good job, y'all. Talk to y'all again soon. Have a great day. Have a great night, whatever you're doing. Uh, yeah, stay with it. Stay strong. Um, you can do it. I believe in you, and I love you. No one knows my name.